Hey, Mace, I miss your face. Now that I'm in the city of angels, remember I could still kick on your ass if you gave me sass. I'll fucking end you. Hey, Mace, don't be afraid. It won't be bad if you are a good boy. The minute you mouth off to me again, then you begin to get your ass kicked. And anytime you feel the pain, my foot in your brain, remember to switch.
that's so, it. So yeah, uh, <laughs> "Hey Jude" was probably the first like long song that I ever heard. You know, because there's like that seven minute version of that where they go really there deep is, into yes. the "Hey" into the na 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 nas na 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 na. This is that version. Oh, I just sure. decided to spare everyone the three minutes remaining right. on the karaoke track. Got wow, they go the full seven with that karaoke track. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's when everyone in the bar starts getting up at once and is like, "Yep, we're doing them. We're doing all the na na na." I'm imagining like you, like like you going to karaoke and just having a little, having being like on your little like kind of stinker, like kind of Loki, you know, trickster kind of tip, and queuing up Tiny Dancer songs from an Italian restaurant and Hey Jude and doing all. All of that, and then just uh, getting kicked out of the uh, karaoke establishment for life. Well, I did do a mini version of that. It wasn't all three songs, but uh, 2019, friend of the show, Jack Freiberger, yes. and I went to Barney's Beanery yes. in Pasadena. There are multiple Barney's Beaneries in Los Angeles. Yes, you've we said the story on the show one. multiple times. I'm going to tell again. Okay. Uh, and so <laughs> we sang uh, scenes from, well, he sang scenes from an Italian restaurant, and I got up to do the Brenda and Eddie section with him. Gotcha. And that was nice of him to do. <laughs> our guests really, our <laughs> guests really, really like that. <laughs> our guest, our guest who who has very politely and very he didn't have to, but he put himself on mute until he gets introduced because he knows exactly what kind of show he's on, what brand of show he's on right now. Um, but yeah, so I did do a mini version of that, and I would love to do Tiny Dancer at karaoke to the yeah. to the to the Chagrin of everybody else. If, did you see that uh, clip that was? Because uh, I'm back on Twitter, I am now getting the kind of like, welcome back. Great, yes, thank you. I'm now getting the kind of greatest hits of the bad things that happened in the four-ish years that I was off Twitter, and my favorite clip uh, that I've seen recently is is Donald Trump learning that yes. RBG <laughs> that RBG died, and I guess like he's arriving at an event or something, and they're playing him on to Tiny Dancer, and it's it's bleeding through, and it's like one of those moments that, uh, it, it's just it's it's one of those damn my life a movie for real kind of moments, <laughs> you know, a hundred percent. It's 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 that <laughs> <laughs> he he decides to. Uh, what I love about there's so many good things about that clip. We could do like a breakdown of that clip, like yeah. frame by frame, if we really wanted yeah. to. But one of my favorite underappreciated bits in that clip is when he's done talking to the reporter and he starts to walk to the plane. He gives the guy standing at the side of the like stairs mm. just the most like we're so fucked salute. Like it's got so much like character to it. Like he's just like. God damn it! Another fucking day in this beautiful country that I have to that I have to manage, and he's being a, a shithead about it. But he was one of the best. <laughs> he was the best. It was in a lot of ways. It was. It was. Um. It was a nightmare time. But I I have been reflecting on this recently, and it it's it's always is so there is a degree of nightmare time in the United States, just as the worst things get. But it is, like, we've had two really funny presidents in a row, I think. You know, like... <laughs> yes. Currently, we have uh, we have Grandpa Simpson, President Grandpa Simpson. Yeah, just the fucking... He's somewhere... For, he get, got dragged out of the Catskills, fucking sitting in the basement yeah. of the Catskills, the Pekingese in New York, and now he's in the White House. Yeah, and, and then... Uh, uh, 
there was when Trump was first elected, I was very scared. I was very upset about sure. by that. You know, I, I think reasonably, and a lot of people were. And I just remember a family member of mine just saying that no matter what happens, uh, the next, you know, it's going, it's whatever happens next, it's going to be really funny. And at that time when he said that, it made me really upset. But looking back, I'm like, yeah, it was just a really, <laughs> just, well, it was interesting that guy was our president. Of, well, it's interesting because I think a lot of people were saying like, at least it'll be good for comedy. And in my opinion, it was really bad for comedy as yes. a whole. Yes. But he is funny. Yes. He is he's funny. He's hilarious. He is, he is, he's funny. And it sucks to say that, but he's the funniest president of all time. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, who knows? Millard Fillmore could have been a crack up. Like, who knows? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, I don't know. But yeah, uh, great four, really great four years. You missed a lot on Twitter, Mason, and I'm sad that you weren't there, but you're back now. How has it been? I'm having a great time having a place to put my most deranged thoughts, which is the Twitter drafts it. folder, not the main feed. That's true. The real, the real secret shit stays in the drafts. Yeah, or the uh, or the the super secret funny talking baby group chat. <laughs> yeah, that no one is allowed in or out. <laughs> Absolutely no. <laughs> you get invited in by some you know like skull and bone shit, and then you're never allowed to leave. You can check out of the group chat anytime you like, but you can never leave. Welcome to It's On The List. <laughs> this is the podcast about Donald J. Trump, the yes. funniest president of all time. I am, of course, the funny-talking Donald J. Trump. Noah Marger, with me as always, is the funny-talking Donald J. Trump, Mason McGuire. How you doing, Mace? Oh, How man. How you doing? I'm uh I'm doing all right. I got some uh I got some stuff coming up that I'm excited about finally. Hopefully some something good. But I've had a uh uh last weekend I went to uh I managed to secure some uh tickets to Riot Fest at a deep discount and I got to see the Smashing Pumpkins live for the first time ever. Oh. And it was very fun. Um but other than that, I don't have much else to say about that. I'm feeling pretty good. And I'm actually feeling pretty great recording this podcast because, folks, you've heard it. And if you're looking at this podcast on your podcast player right now, you've seen it. He's back. The king is back. You know him. The king of Sting is back. The king of Sting. You know him. You love him. (laughs) Ryan Kenny is joining us on the airwaves again once more. Chef, how you doing? Chef is good. I'm all right. I'm I'm fine. (laughs) I went. For, I, I am also I all right. Fine. I'm. It's bad. No, I'm just kidding. It's. I'm fine. <laughs> I, I I feel you. You you you. At, I don't know about you, Ryan, but uh, I've been seeing a lot of people that I haven't seen yeah, in like same. a year and a half, having moved back to LA somewhat recently. And I'm sure. sure everyone, I guess, is doing that more or less. Just maybe they are in the same city that they were prior to the for pandemic, sure. but. Uh, people are like, "How is it being back?" And I can't <laughs> say it's good. I can't. I can't say, "Oh, I'm doing great." I'm like, "It's fine. I'm figuring things out right now." <laughs> but it's not yeah. great. That is what I will say. So I appreciate. No, the I, what, what can I say? I'm like uh, officially now permanently at home, which I'm like, there's give and takes. I don't have to make a commute anywhere, but I'm also like, I get to stare at the same fucking wall <laughs> until the end of my days. Until I until I quit this job. Which I, I probably I probably uh, will. Yeah. 
Not anytime soon. I was just about to say that sounds. That sounds I was actually I was gonna say that sounds like maybe it could be a pretty. No, 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 soon not, for, not, not very soon. Really no, I always give it it everything a year. Yeah. There you go. You gotta. You gotta just really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's smart. <laughs> um. Yeah, Ryan actually. I, this is. I don't want to dox him too much, but Ryan actually uh, has the job that I left <laughs> earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and giving your time to that job in particular, I think, is the smart thing to do. Just one year of your time, because uh, um, it's not horrible, but I, I could you know, see it getting really bad. You know, come the year marker. Yeah, but, it, it's, but you know, it's not the worst. I'm making money. I can't. I can't complain. Hey. It's more than I can say for myself. For sure. Uh, yeah. No, but that's good. I, I I do feel bad, and I I wanted to uh, just kind of dox myself and and my my poor planning. Uh, I was supposed to see Ryan this past weekend, actually in person. He was in my neighborhood Damn. for a mutual friend's oh. kind of birthday celebration. Yeah, and uh, I slept through it. I took a nap on Saturday. That's okay. I slept through it. That's all right. Yeah. I was the last time I saw you, Mason, in the flesh. Widows? I th- I think when we saw Widows at the music box, yeah. As we do when we have a guest, we have two guest chef choices here. We have an album, and we have a movie, both chosen by our guest here. So, Chef Ryan, why don't you get before, us started here? I'm sorry to interrupt. What's up? I think we actually have one piece of business to take care of before we do that. Motherfucker, you're right. I'm very sorry. Um, we do. So We made a promise to the listeners last week. We, we did make a promise to the listeners last week, and uh, it's just poor It's poor executive. Um, poor exec, poor, I have no executive function at the moment here. So we, open, so we opened <laughs> the email shit. inbox for the first time in... <laughs> Dusted that thing off for, yeah, you know, the months, first time in months. And we, we answered an email at the end of last week's show from a um, friend of the show, uh, not yet a guest on the show, but a friend of the show, I would say, uh, Austin Hayes, who asked us our opinion on the Shrek franchise and then asked us to name our three favorite mid two mid three favorite 2000s family comedies we kept the second one the second part of that for this week's episode so that we could chew on it and also offer that up to our chef our guest chef here so i guess before we get into the real business of the show here chef ryan uh-huh. couple questions what is your opinion on the shrek franchise and then also what are your three favorite family comedies before no one I okay shares? so i'm i guess you want me to start with shrek <laughs> when do who doesn't want to start with Shrek? <laughs> when do you not start um, with Shrek? <laughs> uh, what do I think of it? I mean, it was like a it was like a cultural uh, thing you couldn't escape. <laughs> it's a lot like nine eleven, but in a good way. We've <laughs> never true. we've never That's forgotten true. Shrek, and he's always there. I really I remember seeing the first one and it being at one of those movies where uh, my mom repeated jokes back to herself. So I thought, oh, I, this must be very this must be awesome. very funny. Uh, <laughs> and then I really I did like the second one quite a bit, and then I quickly like drifted off. I haven't I've seen all of them, but I am not crazy about uh, Shrek the Third or Shrek Forever After. I think is what it's called. Yeah, Nailed but I mean, it. you know, at Universal Studios they have they had Shrek 4D. That was fun. Oh, did you experience that in the flesh? No, anybody, anybody. I, I have a few times. What's going yeah. on with that? Uh, it was it was like a prequel movie, not a prequel. It was like a mid movie between Shrek One and Shrek Two, wow. like mm. a little 
35 minute thing and it was like the ghost of uh lord farquaad and something like that wow. holy shit they should have called that's, it shrek one and, and, and a half and like it was too, early, i don't want to really pick nits about that you know because now i'm no, no don't you do say that. shrek 4d and i'm thinking that it's going to come somewhere between shrek the third and shrek forever after you know for sure but it's because the seats moved and sure, stuff like right. that. Sure, right. It was one of those. Did you like? Was it smell-o-vision? Could you like smell the swamp and like donkey's ass and stuff? Maybe, and I just don't recall. Maybe I blocked it out. <laughs> that would be fair. Horrific. That would be a very fair thing to do if they were yeah. making you smell Shrek Swamp as like a what a ten-year-old or something sure. like that. I'll throw I'll throw Shrek the Musical on top of wow. that too. I think that is a good a good franchise endeavor that successfully worked out for them. Very cool. Which I think you can watch on. I think you can watch it on Netflix. It's good, but it's horrific yeah. at the same time. It's like scary. It's like to kind watch. of staring into some like multiverse type situation where that's like a real reality. For well, it's just like the play is good, the music is good, but then you have like an actor who's like really giving it his all, <laughs> but he looks like a Shrek. He looks like a Shrek. Yes, uh, the classic type of creature, <laughs> Shrek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And I think without I think without Shrek we wouldn't I think without Shrek we wouldn't have things like um, Game of Thrones right. or something right. like that's that. That's very true. Four basic just... story types: Man vs. Shrek, Shrek vs. Shrek did. Yes, <laughs> Shrek also did come out the same year as 9/11 too. So you're not wrong in saying it is a lot like 9/11. Oh, it did. Yeah. Well, and there's that famous book, uh, the screenwriting book, Save the Shrek. Save the Shrek, Save the 9-11. Robert McKee Shrek. Shrek. Yeah. Robert McKee Shrek. Uh-huh. Let's look at, when did Shrek, let's see when Shrek actually came out. Like, what was its release date? Brian Cox. And, and Brian what, and Cox, what, and what, uh, what is the... Like, com- completely painted green and wearing, like, uh, a rag and just yelling at Nicolas Cage. You don't think Shrek happens what? everywhere? Shrek happens every single day. Look down the street if you can't fathom that. You have Look no down business the swamp here. If you can't fathom- <laughs> what is the, what is the, like, the timeline between Shrek coming out and, like, Osama Bin Laden, like, planning so shrek according to wikipedia shrek came out in wide release on may 18th 2001 oh it could have easily been the catalyst easily been the catalyst nothing having to do with the first george w bush you know supplying weapons Mm. (laughs) to the middle east deep deep in the chapters of the looming tower it's like chapter like 85 shrek releases (laughs) it's the final stone that had to be like flicked or something in order for the to be released uh, and then, what are your three favorite two thousands family comedies to sort of complete this arc? This was this was this was very difficult, uh, but I have to like go with easy go. answers. So I cannot cannot go without saying the the great uh, Des Mackinoff who exactly movie uh, Robert De Niro, Rene Russo, Jason Alexander, Moose, Squirrel, oh, it's the Adventures of Rocky. Go. Wow! There wow. we go. Yes. Oh, great choice. And I was like, what, six when this, I was like six when that movie came out and I was beside myself. I made my mom take me to see that six <laughs> times. I'm surprised I'm alive. That's a lot, dude. Wow. I don't think I've seen the movie one time. Yes. I just like know about it. It's this like weird ephemera. Oh, boy. Oh, man. It is good. Written by Kenneth Is Lonnie. it really no written by Kenneth Lonnie? Moving on. No way. <laughs> He has the screen. I mean, I don't know what happened in between him writing it, but he's got like the final credit on the movie. Wow, it's very shocking. Um, 
And then I would say another Universal 2000 Endeavor. I really didn't want to say Flintstones and Beaver Rock Vegas, so I'm not going to say Flintstones sure, okay. and Beaver Rock Vegas. I'll say Chicken Run. Oh, nice, nice. Because that was that was big for me. And then I'll move a couple years further and say the Jim Carrey series of unfortunate oh. events, which I think is a really good and underrated. That was on movie. my short list, Ryan. That is not making my top three, but that was like in the in the consideration by like top five or six for sure. I was gonna say Hairspray, even not a movie that I really like, but I enjoyed seeing it and I thought that like made like an impact, but maybe it's too racy, I don't know, for literally for a family comedy. Well, I have a P I have maybe. I I have a not to spoil my list, but I have one PG thirteen movie on my list. Uh, of three. But, Throw it out. Um, no, I want to hear your. That's a great list, Chef. I love all three. It of is a great choices. list. Yeah, I, I, great list. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Noah, why don't you share your list? Yes. What are your three? Okay, so I I went way more basic than our friend Ryan did for yeah. two of my choices, and then one okay. of them I think is a Marger family classic that I'm not going to say is very specific to my family, but I do think it's divisive. Some families mm -hmm. loved it, some families hated it. It's so, a click. Click, yeah, click is one of the yes, click is it. Actually, click is all three. But number number one number one of three <laughs> is the two is what I consider to be Richard Linklater's second best film, and that is School of Rock. Uh, that is a absolutely mm. classic family movie. Once we discovered that movie in our family, I think we ordered that thing off DVD Netflix like you know ten or twelve times. Like that was just mm. always at the top of the queue for us. Uh, and I genuinely think that's like. One of Richard Linklater's best movies. Yeah, yeah, yes. Let's rock, let's rock, let's rock today. Endlessly quotable, written by Mike White, Ned Schneebly, Jack Black, you know, Sarah Silverman doing her thing, too. Miranda Cosgrove. Uh, John Cusack. Cusack. Yes. Very, very, yes. One. I think maybe her debut performance, possibly. I think you're right. So, got to give it up for School of Rock. Got to give it the love it deserves. Uh, number two, another just classic just a classic movie I think we watched this movie even not during the holiday season because it's that good is that's Elf starring Will oh, Ferrell sure um, yeah absolutely yes. just you know another classic forget. can't forget Elf you have to it's, it's a Christmas classic it's a holiday classic he's so good in it James Caan is great in it. Weirdly enough, it's weird to think about James mm -hmm. Caan being in that movie. Michael Lerner Michael yes every, every kid's favorite Michael Lerner Peter Dinklage just, <laughs> Peter Dinklage is great uh -huh. Amy Sedaris. Who is she? Is she the mom? She's the secretary of James Caan. No, Steenberg is the mom. Yes. Papa Great Elf. cast. That's Amy Sedaris. Yes, there you a, go. A classic Amy Sedaris line. That's a great scene. Papa Elf. Uh, one of my favorites. And then last but not least, this is where this is where the it's on the list twist comes in. This is where the it's on the list little like loop-de-loo in pull and then your shoes are looking cool comes in. I love this movie. This actually is on my list to bring on the show one day, but I think a lot of people don't like this movie, but this was watched over and over again, close to the amount of times that we would watch School of Rock as a family, and that is the animated film Hoodwinked. Have you guys ever seen Hoodwinked? Didn't see Hoodwinked. No, yes. I've not seen Damn. <laughs> is it? So you you would bring it on, you would bring it on your own show because it's I think good. it's really good. I remember loving it. The animation always scared me in the in the previous. Yeah, yeah it kind of looks like shit. And even though I was like, I was older, I was like maybe like ten when I think maybe something like that it's, when that movie came out. But the animation, yeah, it me out. looks like it's it kind of looks like its own like 
bargain basement DVD ripoff. You know, like those. It looks like its own like rat tat toy mm-hmm. or its own like little yes. cars or something. Like it looks like its own YouTube poop, basically. <laughs> that's true. That's a great point. Some free uh-huh. movie that's just lurking on YouTube, like in the basement somewhere. <laughs> but then they, but then they made like a sequel, like. Ten years yeah, later. Yeah, the sequel right? is dog shit. Just yeah. complete dog shit. Saw it in theaters. Oh, <laughs> you were so, so mad. Were so I saw it with my dad and sister. We were pissed off. We love that movie. We love Hoodwinked. <laughs> I'll have to watch it. It's, fu- it's fun. It's good. There's a song in that movie. It's a musical, actually. There's song. No- there's musical numbers in Hoodwinked. Uh, and there's one song in there that just always would crack us up. We would like rewind. Oh, is Marlene Dietrich? Is Marlene Dietrich in Hoodwinked? <laughs> Yeah, and I fucked her in Hoodwinked too before you did, Mason. So. We hope. Could you imagine a little red light? In <laughs> it's Anna Hathaway, Glenn Close, David Ogden Styers, rest in peace. R.I.P. Uh, Jim Belushi. Mm. Uh, who else is in that movie? Damn, kind of a kind of a fire cast, if you ask me. But those are my three, Mason. I'm gonna look up who else was in Hoodwinked, but give us give us your three. So I also so this is. We have a little a little bit of podcast host telepathy going here. So here's my three. So the the PG thirteen movie that I teased for mine is School of Rock. School of Rock. Let's go. And here's the caveat. Here's the caveat with my choices. My parents, when we watched family move like family movie time, it was always like, and I think I've said this on the show plenty of times. It was like movies like The Marx Brothers or like Alfred Hitchcock. Like they were like old movie people. Not much into like kind of. Um, contemporary family movies unless it was like uh, Finding Nemo or some kind of Disney something or other you know and no disrespect to those movies but they're they're great like movies but when I think of like a family comedy or something you know uh, not really what uh, we were watching as a family but School of Rock was a classic one with me and my friend um, Alex Bahaviolis and we were driving in their car they had that like um, a van that had a um DVD player and that was like the one the DVD that was always in the DVD player was School of Rock so that's awesome that's a family movie but not necessarily with my family if you're catching me the other one and this one is a movie that I saw with my family but because I went to the movie theaters with my grandma to see it and that's the Spongebob Squarepants movie let's go dude amazing pick yes really really love that movie um the I remember just going into a, a, a giggle fit when uh, they're fighting uh, on David Hasselhoff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, I uh, I think uh, Patrick uh, like bargaining down the time it would take for SpongeBob to um, uh, you know retrieve the crown and, and save the Krusty Krab with the Jeffrey Tambor as King Neptune. Classic bit. You could do it in five. You know, yes, uh, that is a classic bit. Also uh, a musical. Also a musical. Great soundtrack. Yes. I remember. I would. Uh, I had Goofy Goober Rock on. I think my very first iPod, my iPod Mini, and I listened to that that song nonstop. Uh, and my third is also a movie, an animated movie that I want to bring on the podcast. And it came out in two thousand nine, so it just squeaks under the radar here. And it's a movie that I keep trying to pitch to Noah to bring on the show, and he's always not accepting it. I. I feel like I know what this is. Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox. Love, I knew it. I love that movie. Um, I and I know that my parents would probably appreciate it if I showed it to him. I can't remember if me or my sister ever showed that to him, but that's 
that is a movie that to me is a family movie. You know, it's about family. It's about the, mm-hmm. the community and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, it's, I, I adore that movie. Uh, I adore that movie, but those are, those are my three. And just shout out again to uh, Austin Hayes for the great prompt and for the patience while we answered his email five months after he sent it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for not, and if you yeah, want to an- send an email that we'll answer five months, uh, five five months in the future, it, the email is everybody wants to the number two get on the list at gmail.com. and uh, yeah, so let's let's start the show. Before we get before once again we get into the show, I have the top build voice actors who are in Hoodwinked, and it is a crazy bunch. I just want to read it real quick, just for shits and gigs. Anne Hathaway, as I said before, is Red Riding Hood. Glenn Close is Granny. Jim Belushi, who is a great Twitter follow. If you're not following that guy on Twitter, you need to hop on that guy's Twitter. He's growing marijuana, and he is very passionate about it. Uh, he plays the woodsman. Patrick Warburton mm-hmm. plays someone, and I can't remember who it is. I think it's the wolf, maybe? I can't remember. Uh, David Ogden Styers plays this frog character who's sort of a invention of the movie. Chaz Palminteri is in the movie. Uh, I don't yeah. remember who he plays. Andy Dick plays this evil rabbit who is great. Wow. Has, one of this, has a great song in the movie. And then to top it all off, and I don't remember who this person plays, but anytime you can get this guy in a movie, you got to do it. It's Exhibit, baby. Pimp my ride man yeah. himself. Oh, my God. <laughs> remember when Exhibit was just in almost everything for a period of time? Like, I feel like he even popped up in the X-Files movie from 2008. Like he was, um, what the fuck? Yeah, I, I, it's, uh, I think it's X Files. I want to believe is that one, um, a movie that I understand. I've never seen, and I understand is actually not very good. But I think the like the cast in that movie that's not Mulder and Scully is like Exhibit and Billy Connolly. I don't know. Damn, the dream team. The same caliber yeah. of actor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in a lot of ways, they are the same caliber of actor. Mm-hmm. Well, wasn't like Little Red Riding Hood in that movie like an action hero, something like kind that? Kind of. I think that's that Granny. Okay. I think Granny's the one with the secret action like abilities, from what I can remember. Oh, okay. Um, that always kills in a movie, in a kids' movie, though, where like old person who fights. Classic. Yeah, when the grandma is not exactly the grandma that you know and love, and it's like kind of a badass Granny situation. Classic bit. I should have said the, I should have said the pacifier. Yes, bro. Really oh, yes. Oh my god. Pacifier rules. I remember that movie being uh more or less forbidden in my household because I think my dad thought it looked really stupid. And so I watched and so I never saw it. No, but it had a great urgent yeah. drama. <laughs> and Vin Diesel, that's like that pre that doesn't predate the Fast Five or the the Fast and the Furious series. I think it's like in the midst of it. No. But it's like the kids yeah. kids can watch that. Kids yeah. can enjoy that, you know? And and one and, and one of the kids gets accused of being a Nazi at wow. school. Wow. Even though he's just in a play. That's fucked up. That's like It's the like play. how Macklemore thought yes. he was gay because he could draw, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that's a famous, <laughs> famous That's crazy, Mason. That was insane. <laughs> that is nuts. Um should, we should probably actually talk about the things that Ryan brought on the show now, 35 minutes into the show. Um, Chef Ryan, we talk about the album usually uh-huh. first. We would like to do that today as well. Okay. What did you bring us? What's your offering? I brought you a little song cycle piece called Myths and Hymns. This is by the composer 
Adam Gethall. Snap, 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 snap. Gotta yeah. get some snaps going. Uh, what's your history with this, and why'd you pick it? So, I mean, it's no, like, secret. I'm very much, like, a music theater fan. Uh, I have, <laughs> I was struggling, like, pick an album for this just because I have I have the worst music taste like if I'm not listening to just like singles or like hits from other things it's pretty much just strictly to like musical scores and soundtracks which is sad but anyways this when I got to college there was like the musical theater kids were so um loud in their like opinions of things so something that and they were very big on like, and it's still like the, you know, 2010s, early 2010s. So you were not like, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda was still like just a one hit wonder at this time. Funny enough. Oh, how uh, things so have really changed. like the big, <laughs> yeah. So the, like the big, like contemporary composers you were talking about were all, were people from like, even like 20 years prior to then still. And Adam Gettle is one of them. And everyone's like, if you haven't heard an Adam Gettle score, you should listen to that. And I explored some of his music, and this is an album just that I really like, just because it's not like set to any particular story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I heard it. In, I remember listening to it in college, and I listened to it a lot. And then I, it's like now it's just in regular rotation nice. for me. Nice, Mason. Uh, I hadn't heard this album, uh, this album, this song cycle before. I. Um, have an appreciation for musical theater. It's not something that I actively seek out to listen to. But, like, if I'm in the car with my sister, she's usually playing me uh, either, a, uh, like, the, the latest the latest TikTok song or, like, something from a musical. <laughs> uh, you know? Um, but that all that to say, like, uh, I couldn't have told you anything else that Adam Gittle had wrote, written before you picked this, but then like on Spotify, I saw, Oh, wait a minute. He's the guy that wrote light in the piazza, which my sister was, was in, Mm -hmm. in college. Um, Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah. I can't recall what part she played, but I remember her being in it or either, or her school putting it on and I went to go support it or something. And as just kind of like a casual fan of musical theater, I was watching, I remember watching that, that musical and, liking the performers, liking the, the sort of the stagecraft of it, but feeling kind of at a distance from like the music the and the music show, I thick. guess, you know, like it felt very kind of theater nerdy to like really get something, it's, something out of that. It's heady. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty heady. Um, so this was completely new to me. Absolutely not on my radar. When, uh, uh, even though I think myths and hymns is just a great name for a project you know yeah um uh but i didn't know anything about this before getting into it noah what about you did you was this on your radar at all was lighting the piazza or adam Gittle on your radar at all uh no not at all this is brand new to me adam Gettle's brand new to me uh i think we talked about we've talked about my history with musical theater on this show you know every now and then but for maybe anyone who's never heard me talk about it before Uh, When I was in high school, I was heavily involved uh, with my theater program. And high school basically did, if not every single show, you know, three quarters of the shows that we did. You know, and it was an arts magnet school, so there was a lot going on uh, in the department at all times. So it was very busy after schools. My days were insanely long, you know, getting up to go to school at like 6.30 and usually not getting home until like 
6, 6.30. So 12 hours. I was pulling those 12-hour days at like 14, 15, 16 that uh, can't be good for your health <laughs> right. at all. Uh, so very, very sick that I was getting raised on that young. Uh, and so I went through a big phase where I was trying to devour all musical theaters, you know, much as I could, whether it was, you know, Showboat, Carousel, you know, oldies but goodies, or whether it was, like, the last five years, which was, like, a huge thing. Yeah. You know, when I was sure. very much in school. Or, ne- or, what is it, Next to Normal? Is that the name of the show, Next to Normal? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. People really liked that, uh, that I was friendly with. Yeah, um, Dear Evan so, Hansen. Dear Evan, Dear Mason. Uh-huh. Maybe, <laughs> which, is the, which is the parody we're writing and releasing on the same day as Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, I can't. Uh, I'll be there for that one. Yeah, Dear Mason. It's just me with like full body cast <laughs> being like, does anyone see my podcast co-host? I can't find him. I literally can't see him. Uh, can't wait! Can't wait for people. The, to the see central that. tragedy of the play is the the cast is over your ears, so I'm screaming, "I'm over uh-huh. here! I'm right behind you!" I, but but you he can't hear can't me. Turn his head. And I'm talking at like 200 decibels loud. Like I've got like a mic taped really close to my to my mouth. I can't hear jack shit. That's gonna I be think such be a a hit. Yeah, that's gonna be awesome. That's gonna be really fun for people to watch with their whole family and mm-hmm. their grandparents. <laughs> um, but needless to say, I was not familiar with Adam Gettle. I was not familiar with Myths and Hymns. This was brand new to me. But if I can get us started with the discussion, mm-hmm. the first musical I was ever in was a little show called Godspell. Oh. And I actually felt very... There was a lot of similarities, I think, between yeah. Myths and Hymns and Godspell mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways. So it wasn't like this is like blowing my mind crazy in terms of like what this is doing in terms of form. Cause Godspell has yeah. a little bit more of a plot and a little bit more of a through line than Miss and Hymns Dudge, which is on purpose, not having a through line yeah. or, a, or a real plot, you know, a central plot. But I was like, Oh, okay. This has a little bit of Godspell energy to it. Even if it's not exactly the same and they're not exploring the same themes. Do you guys feel similarly to that? Is that fair to say you guys think? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely like a concept record almost. Yeah, for the most part, it and it's exploring. I could you could say faith. Yeah, I yeah, it explores faith. I think it does in a very secular way. I think it way, explores. Though. Yes, I was about to say is it goes from like antiquary stuff to um, they mention Christianity a little bit in some songs, and then it does become more about like faith in a secular form, for sure. Um, which I think is interesting, a more like personal relationship to faith. One hundred percent. It's like it's it's very it's a very interesting like trajectory because maybe seeing it, it would like hit harder in which the is, sense of like that transition, you know. But it almost sneaks up. Yeah, on you, which is like in the album. The funny thing, I think it's like it's rarely done live. I know there's no set way it's supposed to be done. I know it's expanded a lot of the time. Uh, I know he's written a lot since this particular album was released. Um, I think this was just to record the music. I think he just was had something that he wanted to record. But I know it's like grown and, and expanded, and this you can change it around a bunch of times. And then I know there's some companies that have like written a script to it and actually made it a structural piece. But I like the album it being telling stories in just like little bits 
uh, via song in very small clips. Is this considered his debut? No, Floyd Collins was his first show, and that's like a more narrative piece about um, a cave explorer who in Tennessee, I forget the name of those caves down there, but he gets stuck in a cave and becomes like a big uh, to-do as people try to rescue him. That's cool. I think he ended up dying in the caves. But yeah, it's, that's the his first show. He's not written much, funny enough. That actually sounds dope. I didn't see that in any of my research, or at least I didn't it didn't register. But that actually sounds like like an awesome idea for a show, and sounds like it could be really cool. That was his that was his big to do. I mean, he's also like uh, the child of nepotism. His grandfather is yeah. Richard Rogers. I should say uh, just just you know just just to just to get it out there. Yeah, he's the grandson of one of the most legendary people ever associated with theater ever. You know, yeah, it's nuts. Um, Mason, what was your experience listening to this bad boy? Um, I really liked how varied each of these songs were, um, in terms of just kind of either subject matter, even though like you guys are saying, it's sort of, they're all around the idea of like, uh, uh, of faith of some kind. Um, but uh, my what my favorite I think moment in the album is that kind of transition from Saturn Returns into um, Icarus. Icarus, and Saturn Returns is a very uh, it's uh, I guess maybe the theme of the album because it gets re- uh, a reprise at the end there, um, and it goes into Icarus, which has like this kind of this um, uh, electronic kind of production to it, which I'm not as um, familiar with from either musicals or sounds or song cycles or things like that. And certainly not from something from like 1998, even, you know, and every Mm -hmm. time I was listening to it, it really, that really caught me by surprise. Same thing would happen a little bit later with, um, uh, was, is it, that's, there's a shout, which is the, uh, like the kind of more gospel, um, uh, kind of gospel song there. Um, and I really, really liked how, um, you know, there's there's this thing that's often talked about in, I guess, music theater theory or whenever I've done plays in the past about or musicals in the past. It's kind of like, uh, oh, like, you know, they sing, you sing because the emotion overtakes you in the moment or something like that. Um, and I like that these are very compact and kind of very uh, uh, clear kind of beginning and endings and kind of very clear... Um, in and out points with these and there isn't that like kind of overarching plot that you know if you're listening to a, a, a cast recording or something you know it, it maybe it's difficult to fill in the blanks there but I really enjoyed listening to this it wasn't really like any other kind of I guess musical project that I had um, any kind of context for um, I liked it that's all I gotta say about it Love that. <clears throat> yeah, just big yeah. frog in my throat right there. Very cool. Trying to jump out and say <laughs> I liked it too. Uh Ryan, what are your what are your standouts on this? What are the ones that you find yourself returning to? The stuff I find like I again, the stuff that I really like is more because again, like I said, it it starts off really big about, you know, sure. Greek gods, I guess you could say, with things that are really not tangible to human beings and it kind of begins to boil down and it will talk about jesus who is a little bit more something people can grasp um and then it gets to stuff like um migratory v which is just someone about you know 
the sky and singing about birds, which right. is a song. I like that song and it, it really just repeats itself twice. Uh, and so it gets to something that's just very human and questioning um, spirituality, I guess. Something like that or how can I lose you, which is a very cute jazz number near the end of the CD, uh, which is just about questioning what went wrong in her relationship. And then she sort of at the end figures out that she just questioned she kept on questioning herself why it was going wrong and it just went wrong. She spent too much time thinking about something else. So I really like that one. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. And I don't know, maybe this is my sort of maybe set standard opinion of like most musicals, but it was very prevalent in this. And I really felt what I'm about to say, especially in this, I didn't love it when it started out. And I found no, it, yeah. I, I was a little bit just like, oh boy, are we like doing some Jesus is King shit? Like, is this like, is this like about to be some like closed on Sundays? You're my Chick-fil-A like type shit. Like I was a little uh-huh. bit like dicey uh-huh. about it when it first started. Uh-huh. And then once Saturn, uh, Saturn returns hits, I'm like very taken with that. And you could call that. He sings that himself. Yeah. You could, I guess you maybe could call that the, I want song yeah. possibly of sure. the entire record. Uh, or of this song cycle, or whatever you want to call it, uh, and then Singing the rest sets everything up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of that whatever. If you want to think about it in this weird abstract through line of what's really going on here, but then the rest of it I found to be like seventy percent awesome and like thirty percent annoying as hell. Like I truly, sure. there were like times where I was just like, "Damn, this song is fucking annoying. Why do they even? Why do they even sing that?" And I think in this instance the moments that I found most annoying, and maybe this is counter to what you guys think, and we can definitely talk about that. I actually didn't enjoy the group pieces as much as I enjoyed the solo stuff. I really enjoyed hearing like one person really just like dig into a piece, but the ones that were a little bit more group focused, maybe it was because of how they're, you know, orchestrated and staged and different people taking different parts and just the way that it sounds. But I found those to be on the whole a little more annoying. The The best example for me is actually the song There's a Shout, where I think that song is like 70% annoying and like 30% awesome. But it's the moments where it's a little bit more focused on one person in the group that I found to be as interesting. What do you guys think about that? I would say like the story songs I can find kind of annoying. Not like Icarus, I think that's a cool song, but something like Pegasus, yeah, which uh, it tells the story in the well, like it's Pegasus and Bellerophon on on the horse telling the story. Which again, I don't. There's no visual to this, but you can guess that's what's going on. Going to Mount Olympus and then the gadfly that's set again. If you know Greek mythology, the gadfly that bites Pegasus and the hero falls off the horse and dies uh that's like an action song so like they're constantly talking about what they're doing and the gadfly sings about what what it's doing and that's kind of annoying to me but then there's stuff like not a group not song excuse me the come to jesus song which is i don't know if that's about abortion but she's giving up a baby or losing a baby and i that's a song that i quite like and that's very repetitive in a different way. I like come to Jesus a lot too. Um, because it's, um, that it's to my ears and, uh, it was the most like kind of human song, I guess. And the most, I think Mm -hmm. uh, relatable and understandable, like of how, because a lot of these songs are written from the 
perspective of um you know the 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 character in the myth like there's the, the sisyphus song which i thought was awesome that's annoying oh really <laughs> no i like that song a lot actually uh i like that one a lot thinking yeah um or and it, uh, the, the icarus i really liked as a group number because it um that's great yeah and you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with either. Uh, I, I took a poetry class in college for a one semester of poetry class to like fulfill an English requirement, uh, and we read um, the. We got kind of inundated with uh, uh, Icarus stuff. I don't want to say inundated. There were two poems in particular, but they were about um, like the one was I think an Auden poem about the painting landscape and the fall of Icarus, or maybe that one's by another poet. And then there's the other one about, but but kind of about how like. Uh, illustrating Icarus like as this 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 event that's kind of shared by um, this event and this disaster that's shared by like kind of the townsfolk by the, um, mm-hmm. uh, the, the and I like that this is that that song in particular is about like reaching for those heights um, and um, buying into your own myth kind of and then the other voices kind of just like kind of fill in the atmosphere and kind of add it add, add that kind of like texture to it um but uh I, I wasn't really super annoyed by anything on the album or, or or any of these songs but i did prefer songs like how can i lose you here on leander um Great things song. that were a little more i guess oh, yeah. focused and kind of um personal and human but i'm with noah that i think Saturn i think Saturn returns might be my my favorite on there just because the um i guess just just how that that song kind of characterizes um uncertainty and kind of uh 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 maybe uncertainty is just the word i'm looking for there um and just like kind of how um kind of uh recursive you can get when you're in like a a moment or a period of your life where you're stuck doing something that you don't and you think you want you're yearning for more you know i uh it just really uh resonated with me i i can feel that and you say it now and i'm not realizing that some of the songs like that and like come to jesus and how can i lose you have a lot in common with the film we're about to talk about Mm -hmm. uh where yeah you're kind of again you're stuck in these moments of like repetitive thinking and about uh in like the place that you're in right now and especially like Saturn Returns which uh, starts spinning and spinning it has like this very spinning melody to it halfway through and having to think about and even then come to Jesus as well there's like having to think about an unthinkable choice that you have to make in your life yeah. and the movie has to deal and the movie we're about to talk about has to deal with an unthinkable choice you have to make uh, Yeah. so I think that that's very uh, interesting and that's Relatable and I and I like that those are songs that somehow feel like they're dealing with bigger things, but they are very uh, grounded and human and raw. Something that you don't think that I guess you say gods would think about. I think honestly, I feel like we've said what we need to say about this. Anybody, <laughs> anybody else has anything else to say? You know, I know we have a whole movie to get to as well i think all that i should say is that i think girls that audition for musical theater they should sing how can i lose you that's a great song to sing i was very catchy very sweet yeah i think that like almost any song on this that's a little bit more like singularly focused would be a great Mm -hmm. audition song for anyone 
you know, Saturn Returns. They got a lot of character. Amazing for a dude, possibly, you know, like a great audition song for a guy. If he's got the chops, Uh if he can handle the high notes, Mm -hmm. which I know he can. (laughs) A bouncy C. I would say he recycles a piece of that song into another one in his show, uh, Light and Fiazza called Fable. It's the last track of that uh, score. I would recommend going to listen to that because it also has to deal with somebody making a very difficult life-changing decision um, and it uses the same spinning melody at one point. Hell he yeah. really just ripped it and ripped it up. Can I give you all some fast facts about Please do. Myths and Hymns and how are we saying his last name again? Gattel? I think it's Gettel. Gettel? Okay, Adam Gettel. I got some fast facts about Myths and Hymns and Adam Gettel. Myths and Hymns, originally known as Saturn Returns, is a song cycle by composer Adam Gettel based on Greek myth and lyrics found in an antique hymnal. Myths and Hymns was first performed off-Broadway under the title Saturn Saturn Returns at the Public Theater on March 31st, 1998 and closed on April 26th, 1998 after 16 performances. That is what we like to call a flop. In the world, it was off Broadway. It was off Broadway. Yeah, we gotta give it. We gotta give it the props, though. Uh, it was directed by Tina Landau <laughs> with a cast of six performers, which included Annie Golden, Vivian Cherry, Teresa McCarthy, Lawrence Clayton, Jose Yana, I believe is how you would say that. L L A N A Yana, uh, and Bob Stillman. Myths and hips, myths and hips, <laughs> myths and hymns, myths and hip, hips don't lie. Is structured as a review <laughs> with no through plot. Performed in concert format, it concerns the relationship of humans to gods, past and present. The songs range from electronic jazz and piano ballad to gospel and musical theater. Didn't like Icarus as much as you guys, but I just didn't want to say that <laughs> in a moment where I could be viciously attacked by the two of no, you. So no, 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 no. I'm tucking it in here. Uh, a cast recording was released by None Such on March 30th, 1999, the year of the gamer, the year of the cyber athlete. The performers uh, on the recording <laughs> include the off-Broadway cast and also include others. We didn't talk about this yet. This is a perfect time to talk about this. Include others who were not in the production, including Adam Gettle, Audra McDonald. Mandy Patankin, yes. Kristen Chenoweth, Vivian Cherry, Billy Porter, and Teresa McCarthy. There's some big names on this There's cast recording, names. and they're yeah. kind of slidden in there. It, well, Adam McDonald sings the the role of the gadfly in the Pegasus number. Uh, I Kristen Chenoweth is really buried in there. I cannot hear her. I can't hear her at either. all. I was trying to find her, but Teresa McCarthy gets a load of tracks on this album. And delivers on some of them, particularly Adam, migratory. And Adam Gettle just like, seems like he's given himself center stage. Yeah, why not? Thing. He's got a fun. He's got a very fun, rocky voice. Why not? Yeah, good for him. Good for him for writing an entire thing, having sixteen performances of it, and saying, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna sing everything uh, on the cast recording. Adam Gettle. Born December 16th, 1964, is an American composer and lyricist of musical theater and opera. The grandson of musical theater composer Richard Rodgers of Rodgers and Hammerstein. He is best known for his musical The Light in the Piazza, for which he won two Tony Awards for Best Score and Best Orchestrations, and two Drama Desk Awards for Best Music and Best Orchestrations. Uh, he was born to film executive Harry Gettle and writer-composer Mary Rogers, daughter of Richard Rogers, and was raised in the Upper West Side of New York City. He performed as a boy soprano soloist in operas, including, here we go, trying to say it, Peas et Melis- Melisande. 
<laughs> Pay us at Melisande and the Magic Sounds Flute. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, both of at the Metropolitan Opera and the New York City Opera, and another production of Pay Us with the Santa Fe Opera. He was slated to play Amal in the film remake of John Carlo Minotti's Amal and the Night Visitors. He later claimed that he ended his career as a boy soprano at 13 by faking that his voice was changing. He turned to music composition soon afterward. Kind of a baller move to change your voice. Or to say that your voice is changing, I guess. Not to change your he's voice. Just a little, he's just a little lonely city boy. Yeah. He's just at the, at the Metropolitan Opera and living on the Upper West Side. Look at him. He just wanted a fucking change of scenery. Uh huh. Good for him for for doing that in the most sneaky ass way possible. Uh, after six years of working on the project, Gettle's musical "The Light in the Piazza" opened on Broadway in 2005. The show, which starred Victoria Clark and Kelly O'Hara, met with mixed critical notices. But on June 5th, 2005, Gettle won Best Original Score for the or the Tony Award for Best Original Score and for Best Orchestrations. He spent much of the period from 2005 to 2007 working on a musical adaptation of *The Princess Bride* with the original no. screenwriter William <laughs> Goldman. Did oh, you just boy. say no to that? <laughs> horrible idea. <laughs> why Don't is that, that why is that horrible? Why is that horrible? I can't I can't I can't imagine anything I'd want to hear sung more than The Princess Bride. And I love The Princess Bride, but I can't imagine that any song would be enjoyable on that. Well, you that gotta give him the chance. You gotta give him the chance to I got, write I'll it. Give him, I'll give him the chance. I think he didn't he quit doing that? Well, here's the here's the big here's the big reveal. Uh, as of January 2007, Gettle has written the music for 10 songs. An orchestral suite from the score was performed at the Hollywood Bowl in, 19, in 2006. November 2006 and Lincoln Center conducted a workshop of Bride in 2007. Uh, the project was abandoned when Goldman repeatedly demanded 75% of the author's share, even though Gettle... Excuse me, but Goldman reportedly demanded 75% of the author's share, even though Gettle was writing both the music and the lyrics. So hmm. that is currently in development hell. Thank God. Thank Damn, God. Thanks, I got excited I when I read that. I, I wanted to hear imagine. that shit. I can't imagine. Well, I'll be there opening night, and you'll be in the you'll be in the the streets, and I'll be like, "Fuck you!" This is awesome. <laughs> I can't imagine a worse play where it's like there's an old man and a kid on like the left hand side of the st- stage, right on the wing, and then everything else is happening, and you know, in the actual portal of the stage. I can't think of anything worse than like that to me. Uh, I'm sure someone much more creative <laughs> would take care of that situation, but that's what it sounds like to me. Mason, where do you weigh in on this? Where do you stand? Uh, I uh, every time that I see that they've turned a movie uh, into a musical, I just kind of look at the uh, Broadway bill or the playbill and go like, "Great, never seeing that in my life." So that's right. Mm-hmm. Like, Damn, yeah, even something like, like I feel that I feel that way. I even do that to Stephen Sondheim. Like, do you really want to see a musical based on a Brunwell movie? No, not really. But no, <laughs> not I I know that that's what you gotta make to get something produced on like a big scale these days. But I just I was I got so annoyed by the uh, by uh, 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 the the Mean Girls musical when I was in high school, and that oh my god, oh my, oh my god, god, you guys, that it just horrible. turned me off of anything. I think that that's I legally blonde. blonde. I must say. Oh sure, whatever. Yeah, yeah, but you know what I'm seeing. Same same principle basically, and like I again. The, the Princess Bride is such a um, – that movie is uh, 
that's just kind of a perfect object for me. And I'm going to just, I know I'm just going to be disappointed by anything. And particularly, I, I love the Mark Knopfler song and the Mark Knopfler score in that. And I think that's just like the kind of the perfect, just little, 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 little on top to kind of complete that, that whole movie and that whole sort of experience of the Princess Bride. Good for them for trying, I guess. If it's good, I'd like to be surprised, but I'm, it's, it's, it's not something I need. Damn, maybe we'll think differently when <laughs> maybe, we'll, maybe we'll think differently when Back to the Future makes its way once it's because it's in London right now. Maybe we'll once that makes its way over here, we'll we'll think differently of all of those endeavors. Maybe. I'm pumped for that. that I want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that. I have too. a bootleg. You want it? Wait, no, yes. Did you I have say a bootleg. That you should you be a, oh, there should be a musical of Lars von Trier's Breaking the Waves. Did I hear that correctly? <laughs> Yeah, a double bill with that and fucking... What's the one where she rips her clit out? What's that one? Um, Antichromaniac? Antichrist. There you go. No, Antichrist. There needs to be a double bill musical of Breaking the Waves and Antichrist. I got one more fast fact for you, and then you guys can beat me to death. (laughs) I guess, which is what you want. Uh, And this is crazy. This is on his Wikipedia page. Mm -hmm. In an interview, Gettel stated that a portion of his influences include... I am Pei, Louis Kahn, Vincent Scully, Jan Jacobs. This feels like the graduation where you just hear everyone's name. Just clap. <laughs> There's the name. This list is so long. <laughs> Igor Stravinsky, Stevie Wonder, Adam De La Haye, Hallie, maybe. I'm not sure on that one. Harry Nilsson, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Steve Jobs, Bjork, Eric Wolfgang Korngold, Benjamin Britten. William Inge, Stephen Sondheim, Jody Williams, and Marvin Gaye. That is who he listed. That's a portion of his influences. Wild group. Steve Jobs, <laughs> York, and I am Pei. Fellas got diverse and taste. Ruth yeah, man. And Ruth and uh, Ruth Bader Groucho. Yeah. Yeah. May she may she rest in peace. <laughs> Up there. May she rest in peace. You're just you're just telling me this now. <laughs> you're just telling me that this now for the first time ever. She lived she lived a wonderful life. <laughs> Blue jeans, baby. Just the shitty salute. Just the shittiest like we're gonna get fucking through this together. So much subtext. Someone just there. put on someone just put a Twitter uh, someone just on Twitter put a video of Trump like ending an interview and it's just like a one second clip and he goes Okay. <laughs> 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 Have you seen the clip that, of him? I think about many, many cheeseburgers. Have you seen the clip of him saying jail and his tongue comes out of his mouth when he says it? <laughs> he's just he's like says the word jail and his tongue just goes fully out like a cuckoo clock. It's fucked up. Or that uh, quote of him being like, I, I fought the virus harder than anybody else, and it wasn't <laughs> medicine, it was USA or whatever. Thank God, the funniest, the funniest president we've ever had. <laughs> Funnier than Reagan, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> That's uh, true. Mason, mm-hmm. can you remind me what the Mercedes Valuable Player is, real quick? So the Mercedes Valuable Player is the special award we give out to an element of the topic of discussion, which we think deserves special recognition. It, for music, it could be, or albums rather, it could be a song, it could be a lyric, it could be a instrument, it could be just the general vibe, but that's what it is. Um, and uh, it's something we do uh, in honor of Mercedes Ruel from, uh, you guessed it, and remember, Married to the Mob. 
um, and her performance as Connie in that picture. So, Chef, as it is, you are the guest. Ryan, what is your Mercedes Valuable Player for the album this week? I've said it once and I'll say it again. It's How Can I Lose You. That's the track on there for me. Love that. Mason, what about you? I think for me, it's going to be Saturn Returns. Like I said, I I just really, the, I love an I want number. And uh, I liked uh, Ryan's description of that uh, as that track and how it just spirals and kind of just um, replicates the. It really, really runs you over like a steamroller. It man. really does. It, it, uh, it kind of, it got me right in the gut the first time that I heard it, and um, it's kind of the highlight of the of the the whole thing for me. Um, no, well, it's nice that they end it with that too. It is. It is. No, what's your MVP? Mason, believe it or not, I'm walking on air because I have the same Mercedes valuable player <laughs> as you, baby. Saturn returns. It's the one that I would probably listen to like outside of the context of this show. Like I'd probably pop that For one sure. on mm-hmm. and just like listen to that, you know, on in the car, lifting weights, doing whatever the fuck I do I mean, during yeah. my day, going to Vons. <laughs> going to Vons <laughs> Hell asking, yeah. asking where, asking Hell where yeah. the chicken is at Vons. Where's the chicken? Where is it, you guys? <laughs> Can you give me a chicken, I don't know. please? I was a Ralph's family, Ralph's family growing up, so I don't know. Uh, I've been a Ralph's my, fan. I still got my Ralph's card on my. Uh, I'm looking for my. I still have my Ralph's card on my keys. Uh, in with me in Chicago, I have that ready special for when I, I one day return to LA and gotta get some deals on some mac and cheese. I guess. Mm-hmm. I am truthfully do prefer Ralph's as well. I do prefer Kroger overall to Safeway, but unfortunately, that is Vons is the closest, and to me, it's yeah. just. I guess we're doing that. You know, I guess we're doing that instead of Ralph's. Uh, I'm going to give this album a recommend or this song cycle, whatever you want to call it, this soundtrack. I'm going to give this just a standard old recommend, even if you are not a musical theater guy, even if that's not your thing. There's some really good music on this, uh, and I think that anyone can appreciate it. So I'm going to give this a re- regular old recommend. Mason, what about you? Uh, same, same recommendation, regular recommend, same reason. I think that this is something that kind of would appeal to a, a general sort of audience. You know, I think that anyone that heard it would, uh, appreciate it and probably have a song or two of theirs on, uh, of this on here that they would, uh, like chef Ryan, how do you recommend this album? <laughs> Excuse me. I would say recommend as well. Um, I'm never not going to say, don't listen to that. Don't watch that. So I, <laughs> I I say recommend and I agree. I think I think I said this last time I was here, but like a lot of musical theater is really overstated. Mm-hmm. Uh it like yes. says says almost too much sometimes. So it's nice when you have something like this or what I was previously here for talking about passing strange that sounds something that a human being would listen to. <laughs> um, <laughs> with human with human thoughts, so that's nice. That's so good. That is so fucking good, Ryan. That is yeah, I love that. That's gonna stay with me for the rest of the day, probably the rest of the week. To be honest with you, I think uh, everybody should judge a m- music theater like that. Sometimes I all like listen to a show or watch a play. I'm just like, what is that? That doesn't make, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. Like My Fair Lady makes sense to me, but like when I see something like really outlandish, I'm like, that doesn't work. <laughs> Can you give an example? That's I'm just real. curious, like in your head, like what fits that description of that bill. Well, a lot of people are scared of Sondheim, but I feel like he really gets to the the heart of like what a human being thinks like. I agree. So, with 100%. and I know that me and you both watched the company 
documentary recently. Yes. And when you listen to something like another hundred people, you're just like, oh, that's how my brain works. That's how I think of cars. That's how I think of trains. That's how I think of the breeze running through trees. That's how I think of graffiti on the walls. So that's what it feels like. It feels human, like a human experience to you. But there's a lot of songs that like, let's say, I can't even think of one right now where it's just like, who's, no one talks like that. I mean, I can say that about Lin-Manuel, Lin-Manuel Miranda. You're just like, who speaks that way? And even though <laughs> well, our founding lyrics aren't like, lyrics aren't like, you know, and lyric writing isn't a form of poetry in that way where you're thinking about human speech, but you're just like not, if you're not in taking it in a human way, it's not going to come out right. Sure. Speaking yeah. of the human way, should we talk about the movie? <laughs> Oh, wow, the human way. Let's talk about this movie. Let's talk about Ryan, it. Ryan, this is also a you a you pick. This is your chef's offering. Can you talk about what is this movie? What's your relationship to it? Why'd you pick it? This is uh, Terrence Davies' uh, film adaptation of Terrence Radigan's play, The Deep Blue Sea. Uh, it stars, it stars in, at an all-time high to quote Shani Easton um, <laughs> of Rachel Weiss and Tom Hiddleston. And it, it is, should I say what it's about? Or You can say what it's about, yeah. No. Sure. Oh, oh, oh uh, about, about a woman who is uh, in the midst of an affair, really. Um, and she decides one more, the movie begins with her deciding to um, take her own life. Yes. And uh, I saw this, I came, into a relationship with this movie when I, again, I first moved here, like going to the music box a lot. Um, this is a movie that they distributed. Yeah. Um, so you, I would see that, posters. So, that, so that was the music box of Chicago. That was not a coincidence. Yes. They, yeah. They have no, this a, is a music box film. Yeah. They have a distribution arm. They put out uh, the Pavel Pavelkowski, Pavel Pavelkowski movie, Ida, I believe as well. Um, uh-huh. The last couple, I think transit even the last couple of, um, Christian Petzold movies. Yes, Transit. They did uh, uh, Terrence Davies' last, I don't know about last two, but his, certainly his last release, A Quiet Passion with Cynthia Nixon, that was theirs as well. Damn. Um, but they saw, I saw posters for this all the time when I first moved here. Mm-hmm. And it really um, interested me. In, interested me? Yeah. Yeah. Is that a word? Did I say that right? I was very interested in it. And I don't know when I actually finally sat down and saw it, but I can tell you I was not in a good headspace when sure. I did sit down to see it. I I feel like I I felt very in tune with what it was talking about. Even though I've never like been in a relationship that way. But but sure. Yeah. What's your what's your history with Davies as a whole? Had you seen his movies prior oh, to this? Or? Well, in high school, well in high school, you know when you're trying to like be smart before you like go to college or something, yeah. I wanted to like watch a lot of art films, and I was still I was still in the cl- closet then, so I saw um, this I saw his first not his first movie but uh, his sort of big opus I guess you would call it, which sure. is the Long Day Closes, yeah. and I want and that was classified as an art film so i watched that and i would call it an art film uh and that really sent me off on a track his stuff at that point was really hard to find it is still kind of hard to find Mm -hmm. yeah um outside of of the long day closes which is a criterion release 
it's hard to track his shit down, and he doesn't have a lot of movies either. No, and I mean, Aaron, I mean, it's getting better. I mean, he's not. I, he just had a movie open up at uh, Toronto recently, his latest. Um, and Quiet Passion did pretty okay, uh, so he's sort of always growing. But he's been around for a long time, and he's sort of a big, uh, I guess, master of the form. I would say he's certainly one of my all-time inspirations or oh, favorites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's an incredible artist. He he's, has a very deft hand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're watching a Terrence Davies film, basically from yeah. the second it starts. I think it's. I mean, and he film he fills frames sort of the same way. It's they're very slow takes i wouldn't call this slow cinema in any way but they're very uh alive in that he'll not he won't really chop it up too much for you uh but he lets you feel every moment he and every feeling um, he likes um oh my he loves across dissolve yeah. yeah and they bleed in like the most insane way you know they the image sort of sticks around long enough that you are thinking about it well into the next scene going on mm-hmm. but i I think I started watching all his stuff after I saw Deep Blue Sea, and then I became like a super freak fan. So this was your foray into Terrence Dave, or well, you said. Did, so Long to closes your, was that was your first. Foray. Long to closes was the first, but that was very easy to find. I mean, like there was a Criterion release at that point, and it's a pretty much a very well-known movie. Sure. Okay. Uh, Makes sense. Yeah, but yeah. I saw this. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, yeah. Mace, what about you? Uh, this is actually my first Terrence Davies film. Uh, this go, movie was on my radar, though, because Ryan and I were going to college at the same exact time, and I remember seeing this movie either being advertised at the music box, and there's that great mm-hmm. poster of Rachel Weiss looking out the, the window and Tom Hiddleston kind of behind her and embracing her. Um, and I at the time, I saw that, and I just was not... I was not in a place where I was going to access whatever that poster was telling me this movie was about. You know, I was like, oh, no, I want to. I don't think I don't. You know, I don't think I'm even there yet. <laughs> uh, but I know that you know, Long Day Closes is, is a huge movie for for Ryan, and I still have not. It's a movie that I've had kind of on my shelf and on my list, so to speak, for for years. Uh, and it's not a particularly long movie, so there's no reason for me to not watch it, other than I, I'll get to it eventually. But um. Yeah, I was familiar with this movie because it was this kind of big, um, critical kind of uh, uh, darling at the time. I remember, um, and maybe it was just because you know I was in I was in college and I was being exposed to kind of different types of of cinema, and I wanted to like kind of go backwards a little bit and uh, watch a lot of movies by uh, this fellow Woody Allen. <laughs> uh, more okay. Than, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Egg on face with that one. Um, and just like kind of, yeah, you know, uh, stuff like that. And I was, I, I think I was a little more cautious and, and, um, not really into kind of like Noah at the time, not really into like trying British stuff out, you know, British, British, um, British. But I, for it's, and I, I think I also got this movie confused with the Darden brothers movie that, um, Marion Cotillard is in where she has like a busted arm or like a, a leg. 
What's it called? Oh, Rust and Bone. Rust and Bone. I thought, yes. I thought you were saying two day, two days, one night. No, 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 no. Uh, I think I it was Rust and Bone or something and somewhere like that. And those yes. just kind of got linked in my in my. Yes, memory. Shamu. Shamu takes her leg. Yes. God damn literally, it. that's the. <laughs> that's literally what's going on. Wow, it's fucked up. Uh, no, no. Yeah. What about you? Searching for a cure to Alzheimer's disease, a group of scientists on an isolated research facility become the prey as a trio of intelligent sharks fight back. That is what I no. thought you picked originally <laughs> no. to talk about on no, the show. No, that's just deep, Lucy. Oh, my God. The, the Samuel L. Jackson scene in that movie is awesome. I don't know about the rest of that movie, All-timer. but that's... Um, All-timer. All-timer. Such a great moment. And well, I like, that, I like that Ada Totoro is in it. Yeah, shout out. Even oh, okay. even as a small yeah. even as a small child, I was like, Ada Totoro. <laughs> you knew, you knew that she was destined for greatness. Uh, yeah. so that's what I thought yeah, you had picked originally. To be to be too truly honest, when you gave us your picks, that's I was okay. like, Okay, we're going nineties like, disaster yeah. mode, and I'm fine with that. That's fine <laughs> with me. Rennie Harlan, uh, you know, director of Die Hard Two. Twister, I think. Am I right on no. no. Who did Twister? Jan DeBont. Jan DeBont. Please put some respect on his goddamn name. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Please. Um, he did. Die Hard 2, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Dream Master, Long Kiss Goodnight, Cutthroat Island was the one that he did like most infamous for. Yeah, yeah, basically ruined his yeah. life. Uh, so that that's what I thought we were watching. Then I realized there's a the, the very important article, uh, a very definite article, some could say, uh, in front of deep blue sea and it's the deep blue sea and i had actually never really heard of this i may have seen it on letterbox before because i had seen two terrence davies movies prior to watching this first one i watched was the long day closes that was in the summer of 2017 which is known uh colloquially on this podcast as the summer of movies i had a lot of free time that summer and watched a lot of movies and i watched that According to Letterbox.com, which everyone loves and isn't a bad place to be at all, uh, watch that on June nineteenth, twenty seventeen. Uh, so right in the middle of the summer, I guess what would be, or you know, summer vacation, summer break from college. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was very dense. I remember at the time, I didn't really know how impressionistic it was going to be going in, but it sounded interesting to me. I was like, I would like to see what this is. Because I do enjoy impressionistic art. I think that it's very powerful. I think that a lot of the time it is can be, if done and utilized well, more powerful than something that is a little bit more straightforward and something a little that's a little bit more literal. I do love a good piece of impressionism, whether it is a painting or a film or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then, when I first moved to L.A. in 2019, part chapter one of moving to L.A. for the seven months that I was here, One of the first movies I watched in my new apartment was Distant Voices Still Lives, Mm. which I think is better. I think that is that I think that is my favorite Davies. I think that movie. Yeah. And those are similar movies that are like sisters to each other. They are. They're like kind of part of his trilogy or whatever he he calls it. Um, But I really enjoy Distant Voices Still Lives. To me, that's a more interesting story content wise. I really enjoyed seeing Pete Postlewaite just beat the shit out of everybody. Pete possibly one of the best to ever do it. It's such a shame that he, that he one passed of the best. away. In the, na- in the name of the father. Yes! In the name of the father. James the Giant uh, Peach. James the Giant Peach. 
the town. You gotta talk oh, about James the Giant Peach on this show. That is a great Inception. movie. Dude, Pete Possibly is great. He is an Inception, briefly. He's briefly. Okay. Yeah, he's in the he's town the, um, as well. He's, he's uh, Killian Murphy's dad. He's the... Da- he's the uh, uh, he plays the the rich guy that dies, and then they like go deep into Ch- Killing Murphy's subconscious. Oh. And he says, I was, "No, I was disappointed that you tried." You I know? thought Tom, I thought Tom Berenger was Cillian Murphy's dad. Well, You're I guess I didn't understand dad. it. Yeah, yeah. I did go. I did go to the bathroom the the, the two times that I saw it. <laughs> I went to the bathroom both times. Um. Getting up to go to the bathroom during a movie in the theater is terrible. It's like such an awful experience. I, that I, you know what? Yeah. You know what is uh, my my one of my deepest, most secret, uh, deepest shames is that I the first time I saw Widows, I got up to go to the bathroom in Widows at a very no, I hasn't seen Widows yet, but a very decisive moment. Okay. Ryan, I got up at the moment where Viola Davis goes to Carrie Coon's apartment. I knew you were about to say that. That's literally like the whole turning point of the movie yeah i mean i came back and really i nice. pieced two and two but together. sometimes when you're having a co- when you're having a coca-cola that's this yeah, dude. Big, that's what i'm saying and you chug and you chug that shit three. so fast i had a regular size coca-cola and so i was like oh, i gotta get up and go sometimes i gotta can't help it Don't... i gotta take a shit during baby driver <laughs> and okay. missed a very pivotal moment in baby driver as well kind of the turning point of baby driver as well and i feel like there's never a good time to get up to do it and you think my sense of timing with that is awful awful every time i've done it it's been fucked up yeah you got up during the moment when kevin spacey said i was blinded by the balls on that kid oh my god does he say that that i just watched i just watched i just watched the kevin spacey movie where he is Accused of murder and with a, of a male prostitute, and some of the lines that Kevin Spacey said, I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" <laughs> Very prescient Spacey stuff. Um, all to say, Midnight in the Garden of Good Evil. Very good. My mom wants me to watch yeah. that movie for some reason. She thinks I'd it's like it. A not great. It's not great. It's not great. To her, it was one of the best movies she's ever seen. So there you go. It's absolutely, it's absolutely an, East, an Eastwood mom movie. There's like two of them. It's Mystic River and that. <laughs> you can bring it up with mom, her when she comes on the podcast. Love Mystic River. Yeah. Moms do love Mystic River. Uh, all to say, I had a little bit of experience with Terrence Davies beforehand. I do generally enjoy his whole thing. And to, to kick us off into the discussion of this movie, I didn't know it was Tom Hiddleston until he appeared on screen. I thought it was Sean Penn who was in the movie. Wow. Ew. Speaking of Mystic River, wow. Yeah. Little, little, is that little my Rachel Weiss in there? Yeah. <laughs> is, is that my friend Tim Robbins in there? Or is that my six foot seven <laughs> friend Tim Robbins in there? Um, so I didn't know it was going to be Tom also, Hiddleston. Also, Tom Hiddleston, I, Tom Hiddleston with dyed brown hair, I think. I just watched this yesterday, but the whole time I was like, is that the lighting or is that his hair? I couldn't tell if he was blonde or not. I thought he was I just an, I thought he was Tom Hiddleston doing his brunette. best David Niven. Okay, Tom Hiddleston doing his best David Niven, I must say. Mm, good for him. Thank you for hey, thank you for doing that, Tom. Uh, yes, thank you. Ryan, as the guest, why? <laughs> <laughs> what do you like about this movie? What makes this what makes why? this movie click for you? Not to bring up uh, you know, dredge up old memories for Mason by saying click. I apologize that Mason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what makes this movie work for you so well though? God, that's a difficult question. And there's a lot to talk about this movie, and I'm trying to like nail it down to where we're not going to be here for like hours and hours on end. Yeah, thank you. But for 
it, <laughs> it's, it's about i mean i like what i like about it is that it's uh asking really insane questions about like I get literally why why would you want to take your own life why would you want to upend your whole life what would you do i mean where truly what do you what would you do for love really i mean what is the what's sure. the cost of love um and they even say comfort? that in the movie what would you yes, know I, what does real love look like and it's wiping someone's ass oh my god yes she does say that that's a great character by the way um i what I like about it is that it takes a very simple situation of like this woman is sad and she tries to kill herself and it's the day after, you know, they wake her up, they find her and they, you know, it's her rehabilitating from that. But uh, it does this crazy telescoping effect and I can get into the play, which is a whole different beast oh, wow. and a really and a really amazing play from a period where you think a play about a woman committing suicide would not be taken very as intensely uh but it, i like that he condenses the play into this 90 minute thing and then does this telescoping effect of instead of understanding her at surface we get her not through like emotions or feelings but crazy flashbacks that build and build and build and build to where you go oh my god it's not this thing that's making her sad but then the next flashback happens you're like oh right. it's not this thing that's making her sad it's this thing and then there's another flashback oh my god it's not those two other things it's mm. this crazy thing and then you're watching this you're like oh no it's not just her all these people are on the brink of absolutely killing themselves <laughs> and yeah. it's and it's the two other lead men in this movie and then there's also like peripheral characters like her landlady who you realize near the end that she also is living this miserable existence as they live in this house that is next to rubble and their other neighbor and their other neighbors are rubble this right. whole world has left them so i i think that's why i like it that it's about sort of the unknowable of i guess you could say depression or just any sort of sadness and love it's this mix of all these different not crazy only the things. unknowable of sadness but the unknowable of other people's lives at their core you know, yeah. the unknowability of like, you truly can't know what someone else is going through because even if you have gone through the exact same thing as that person, there's no way that you've experienced it the same way as them because of how we process emotion, you know? She's she's like this walking zombie for a lot of the movie because she makes the biggest mistake in any suicide, which is living through it. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just horrible to say, but I mean, that's, when you kill yourself and you make it and you do and you complete it there's nothing you have to worry about you're you are at peace with whatever sadness you were having but she is abruptly slapped awake uh by a doctor by a botched gassing attempt uh, that doesn't work and she's immediately has to deal with that regret now on top of regrets that she has uh from the past yeah, on yeah, top of other people's regrets. This movie's fucking insane. <laughs> Straight. It up. really is. I mean, you could even. Yeah. I, I wouldn't even want to break down the opening of the movie, which is so crazy and so beautiful. And by the time it brings you back to where the movie, like the opening images began, you're like, "Holy shit! I under. I just learned so much about one, per two people. Well, three, even a, a little moments. bit. I think. Oh my god. Well, her husband is truly like the, the secret best character of this movie. <laughs> Simon Russell Beale. Yeah, we didn't, Simon, we didn't mention him. Simon as, Russell yeah. Beale gives an 
an amazing performance yeah. as the Sir William Collier. Noah, do you remember recognize Sir Russell Beale from anything, or Russell Simon <laughs> Russell Beale from anything? Truthfully, no. Oh, you don't recognize him as a uh, Beria from the Death of Stalin, the bald guy. <laughs> How could I have recognized him as that when I was in a blind rage watching Death <laughs> The horrible pig that they shoot in the head yeah. at the end of that movie. Yeah, how could I have fucking recognized him as that? <laughs> Ask yourself that for once. No, I didn't recognize him as that, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm going to say something that is not mm. actually related to this movie, but is indicative of my experience watching this movie. Uh, I live in Los Angeles, California now. Shout out to Los Angeles, California. Mm -hmm. And my room is in not disarray. It's truly not in disarray. But I don't have a comfortable way to watch things in my room yet. Like, my chair that I have in my room is, like, strictly a desk chair. It's not really a hybrid situation. I don't really like sitting on my bed and watching shit. I like to keep that shit separate, you know, sleeping versus, you know, lounging or whatever. So the way I've been watching things in my room is I will move my chair mat and my chair as close to my bed as I can, put my feet up on my bed, and lean back in my chair as far as it will go. And by the end of this movie, it is only 98 minutes long, my ass was numb to touch, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. Okay. So I did not have an amazing time physically watching this movie, and it is a hard movie to watch. So I just want to get out in front of it and say my experience was tainted, unfortunately, by the sure. shitty viewing experience that I have at the current moment. So I do really feel like I almost watched this again last night to try and soak in everything. But it, these these movies are dense. You this, These movies benefit so much from a rewatch. So I felt like my viewing of this was a little incomplete in the sense of like there was so much I feel like I didn't fully grasp. So maybe the stuff I'm going to be talking about is a little different maybe than what's at the core. Okay. But I just wanted to get out in front and make sure hopefully. that the haters don't torch my ass. <laughs> so. I Hopefully I could like spark some memory of some things. But I mean you gave it a heart on Letterboxd so it, it got to you in some way. It did. It ultimately did get to me in some way because Davies is a master master filmmaker and he just knows exactly what he's doing mason what was Um, your experience or sorry ryan i didn't mean to cut you no go ahead i was just gonna ask what mason's experience was uh i watched this movie at my uh in a at a table kind of in a common area in my apartment because uh, i didn't want to i also didn't want to watch it in my room and i didn't want to watch this on my tv that doesn't have a good audio system set up yet i kind of wanted to sit with like good enough headphones on and just like kind of soaking this whole thing here and I was sitting at my table watching this and I uh it starts in the I think the first camera move is from like this rubble up to the building and as soon as it like starts moving and there's like um like kind of a a, a clock or like ticking and like this kind of like hollow sound at the beginning there I'm like okay okay um and then it goes into you know, Rachel Vice's suicide attempt, and then uh, it cuts kind of into the first, like, kind of, you know, sort of mosaic of memory, basically, where mm-hmm. without, Ooh. without Ooh. like, without telling you, really verbalizing 
the relationships or what's going on or what's happening with this woman's life, Davies is giving you a lot of information and just kind of making you like just feel, you know, like really, mm-hmm. um, uh, he's, he's a, from this first impression of it, he strikes me as just a very emotionally intuitive filmmaker and he knows just what to show you visually to get the information across that you're going to need totally. to understand this woman's life. Um, yeah. Which is one of the marks of, like, I think a true master filmmaker yeah. is he only gives, whoever's making the movie only gives you enough information so that you know exactly what they want yes. you to think. And another filmmaker yes. who modern day does that is Lynn Ramsey. I think Lynn Ramsey yeah. is the queen of doing that because we need to talk about Kevin is very impressionistic at times, you know, it's kind of stealing mm-hmm. from Davies a little bit, I think, in terms of form. Sorry, Mason, I didn't want to cut no, you No, you're good. You you're point. fine. You're good. And, and so, again, I didn't really know much about this this movie going into it. I feel like if I knew anything about just a like kind of tone and feel, it's like a really, like, kind of heavy movie about, like, depression and, and, and shit like that. Um, and I thought that this was going to be like uh kind of a flat like it is it, there was a flashback structure to it but i thought it was going to be like what drove like sort of an more of an investigation of what this woman dr- drive this woman to suicide i, I like that ryan ryan has seen this movie a lot and i think ultimately it is but it's not like you know she survives a suicide attempt like like ryan said and um it's the sort of flashback structure doesn't necessarily go away and the more that I watched this movie, the more that I just um, kind of became just a wash of this, like just this this feeling and feeling like um, you're you're experiencing this woman's like kind of uh, uh, her, her Hester is her name, um, her her memory, but not necessarily her regret, but also just trying to sort out what she wants from. You know, the, Life, the, the, it, it's, it's kind of hard to, to talk about in, in a certain way, uh, and I just I have difficulty talking about a lot of things on the show uh, because I'm stupid. But um, there's a yeah, but um, you know the the line the the line the deep blue sea comes or the the title the deep blue sea comes from I, I believe a song lyric that's like I'm caught between the devil and and the deep blue sea. Oh, deep blue sea. Yeah, and which she says to her landlady, I think she asks why. <clears throat> she or if she was going to do it again exactly yeah uh caught between the devil and deep blue sea and what i like about this movie is um it's it's also indicative in that scene that the the hilarious scene i think with the mother-in-law um where those two uh who just fucking hate each other <laughs> and like there's kind of like yeah. the boiling resentment that those two have for each other it, it the, the sort of simmering tension there you know the she, Rachel Weisz's character Hester is a very passionate person, wants to have a life of passion, and she's a a person in a society that is sort of um that that is, is a person in a society where that's not encouraged and it's actively kind of discouraged, and you can't be too passionate because it's just going to lead to to pain and ruin, and that's like the kind of conflict here. You know, it's her, the Simon Russell Beale character. He's stable. He's affectionate. He's he's loving. Certainly, he could give her a a a 
concrete kind of life, but it's not what she wants. And the, the Tom Hiddleston character, he has passion, he has fury, but he also, but with, but with that, he's also very unpredictable and very emotionally kind of not insecure, but he has trouble. He's very selfish might be too strong of a word there, but when he finds out that she attempted suicide, um, he can only think about how it affects him, basically, and what that means means for him. And he kind of shows his own ass there, basically. Um, and then the movie becomes kind of this, like, memory of her piecing this, like, kind of affair together. Um, and there's, like, just these mo- 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 moments of intense um, just beauty and and sadness and, and just... I... I, I the movie ended and I was just kind of like, yeah, I, I don't know if I went in expecting to find an answer to like, you know, the question of love or something like that, but I certainly didn't leave with any, any answers. And that's a great thing for me. You know, like I, I love a movie that leaves you feeling like, not that there's things that are unresolved because I feel like Hester isn't ultimately a good place for that for her at the end of this movie um but I feel like I I just love how kind of compact and um and compact and 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 impressionistic to, to steal your guys's word this is about just like the idea of memory and the idea of relationships and the movie that this was bringing to mind a lot for me, another contemporary favorite of mine, and it might just be because yep. there's a sequel coming out soon, is Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir, which yeah. is Ryan. You know, you and I are on the same well, page. I have, with some, the I have some fun. I have some fun facts <clears throat> that share with the Deep Blue Sea, but there, you know, there's the National Theater of Great Britain, and they do the live like Fathom event things. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <clears throat> They did this play back in 2016, and oh, I wish I had the actor's name on the top of my head. Anthony Burke. Uh, is his name correct from The Souvenir? Uh, yeah, Tom Burke. Tom Burke. Tom Burke, not Anthony Burke. He played uh, Freddy in that production. Oh. And I think Joanna Hogg plucked him from that because those characters are kind of similar in their way. Yeah, and she's they the one that require... found Tom Hiddleston. Yes, and they require, like, those that role, I mean, I guess that character, Freddie, and even the way Tom Hiddleston plays him, requires a lot of, um, he asks for a lot of love, but not an, too much, Yeah, which is Hester's flaw in their relationship. Um, and like you said, those memory pieces are um, uh, for her to remember of trying to figure out like, when did that relationship go wrong when really it was probably wrong from the start you understand uh, like why she's attracted to to freddie though like she's not she's in this kind of like he's got he's yeah he's vivacious he's, he's exciting he's you know he he's after this sort of like this this fear and excitement you know he was a a royal air force pilot in in world war ii mm-hmm. uh that's the other important thing we should mention this movie takes place in around 1950 so it's immediately you know immediate post-war and britain got beat to shit in, in world war ii and she's like this the young wife of this this very cons- this magistrate from this like kind of conservative um uh uh this this from conservative britain basically and you understand like how 
I, I love the establishing shot in the scene with the dinner with the mother-in-law where there's just each of them are in separate quadrants of the screen, mm-hmm. you know, um, and keeping them kind of all separate. And there's there's really a scene where, you know, they're kind of talking around each other, but not really to each other. And with Freddie, it's like all like kind of these these bright colors. It's the kind of this passion, this 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 verve, this vivacity. And you understand why she's attracted to this guy. Um, it just fuck. I, someone else talk, please. <laughs> Well, it's it's a great i guess bringing up colors i mean this movie looks um really crazy it's got this like very fun hazy sheen to it the soft focus i really like focus in the reflections the soft focus that i really like and it also helps with like when she's outside and this almost gives it to the griminess of i guess the smoke of bombs that have yet to fully die out mm-hmm. um but you again you get that in those that really grayness of the mother's house and the stuff with um simon russell beale and those flashbacks or those remembrances you can call them and then you get uh stuff with hiddleston which is very glowy and and warm like you said and yellow and orange which is almost great to where she ends up at the end and there is a physical the fire from the gas that finally lets out to her and she is uh making the decision to again this movie is bookended by a very tough decisions one must make you know to die or to live and Mm -hmm. uh because she doesn't get to make the first one really she's you know because she chose to die but she didn't choose to live but she has to make that decision for herself at the end and that's not a decision where she says i'm going to live forever but to live another day at least uh, which is great, but I, the stuff that I love in it, like, I guess we can keep talking, those, the memory stuff, the flashbacks are so great to talk about just because they kind of like appear never when you expect them to, like when you watch a movie with a lot of flashbacks, you go, oh God, here we go, here's the flashback, but they'll be like mid scene or she'll be sitting and you'll, the camera will start to really pan away and then the dissolve happens and you'll cross over into, you know, a different time, an earlier moment. And what's great about them is that you are never in the same spot emotionally mm-hmm. where you were when you went into that flashback. Um, and then there's like the great flashback in the whole movie, which is not to use a mental health term, but like it's really a trigger. She it doesn't there's no dissolve. She runs into that into the tube station. I don't know what to do, but but it it goes immediately and it pulls back and we're in during the blitz and this uh, tube station is being not bombed out, but everyone's huddling inside of it. Yeah. And it's this crazy bit of uh, group trauma, I guess you could say. Yeah. Of You could even say Freddy's probably up there in the air somewhere in the sky, miles and miles and miles above them, while her and Sir William Collier are huddled in this moment of really horrific event, you know, mm-hmm. that you barely just scrape through living to go sit in the grimy tube station while the rest of the world is, you know, bombed out of their lives. Yeah. And it's just another, like, this great additional moment of, like, oh, it's this whole thing, this whole world is depressed. This austerity is put on the fact that there were nights where people just disappear into this giant, in these giant bits of rubble. Yeah. And there's, it's going to, it's so tough to rebuild from that which is also the last image of the movie. It's these kids playing on the rubble as the sun comes up. And it's, you know, you, ha- you have to, you have to build up from that. Yeah. Which is, 
a lot the rub not just the rubble of war but like the rubble of your life yeah yeah uh chef no you've been very very patient in listening to us talk about this movie what are what are some of your thoughts about this here picture um i mean nothing you guys haven't said to be honest with you like i said that the you know my viewing experience on my own personal level was less than uh less than ideal and i really do want to give this one another watch so i'm purposely actually taking a little bit of a back seat just because i i don't want to I don't want to say too much about it. I, you know, really like Davies' whole thing. I really like the impressionism of his films. Uh, but I need to watch this one again before I can truly talk about it in a way that is For sure. mm-hmm. meaningful, in a way that is uh, additive to what you guys are saying, because you guys are kind of hitting the nail on the head. One thing I did want to say, though, and this is just not only this movie, but just sort of his films that I've seen across the board, and this is a little bit of a abstract thing, but... His movies have so much texture to them. Mm-hmm. You're watching these... In my, the reason I think you watch a Davies film is for the texture of the film. The reason you're watching it is for this sort of, to use a film school term, the mise-en-scene of everything. It's the totality of what's happening. Yeah. It's not these, you know, it's not this particular part, it's not this particular part, it's sort of how everything interacts with everything else because he uses the form of filmmaking and the structure of storytelling so eloquently and effortlessly like it doesn't feel forced ever do you guys have thoughts on that i feel like it's just so effortless it's also a world that he understands those three movies that now that you've seen you know long day closes and uh distant voices still lives it's a time this is he lived through this period he was a very small boy but he understands those uh those feelings those textures of what the the world would feel like and making sure that all of that feels really tangible to you uh, that carpet the gas i mean the, all the stuff with her attempting suicide at the beginning is so crazy lived in and felt um of lock of locking those doors. and the, the coins of the the meters of how much work that is to do right, right to actually plan her death uh and just the i don't want to say monotonous but the sort of uh the old timey way like this extreme uh extra steps that everyone had to take back then to do things um which i like but yeah those textures are great i mean even long day closes i mean literal literal textures where there's a crazy sequence of dissolves of carpet and you get closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to the carpet where this boy's hand is rubbing on it of this sort of the history of wanting to feel that carpet again and wanting to feel but he also gets that through gesture Yes, and there's a lot of grace notes and gestures in this movie. A great one is early on after a, in the first sort of telescoping um, flashback of her meeting Freddie, and they make love, have sex, bone, whatever you want to call it. They doink. And they, first of all, they are a crazy fit. They're very slender people, and they're very pearly white they're very sexy and they're very cam- attractive and, the, and the, yeah. the camera is doing this crazy circle around their bodies yeah that's a wild while also di- dissolving at the same time and it comes back around after they've uh, had sex and she licks his shoulder blade yeah and I find that 
so incredibly uh, erotic and moving, and yet yeah. he he makes you feel like, oh, I want to do that. I know what that feeling is. I know how much how crazy infatuated you've been with someone. Just be like gonna lick that part of their body right now mm-hmm. you know people talk about world building and they said talk about lord of the rings and they talk about these fantasy films but there's so much world building in davies movies and one of the things that he does i'm not gonna say better than any filmmaker but right now i feel compelled to say better than any filmmaker the way people sing in his movies he's so it's like musical. a musical it is yes. people are singing in bars they're singing in, yeah. in their in you know it's, family situations it's, it's so nice it's so beautiful yeah. it's interesting you say that so i so i watched this movie on movie cuz this is in the movie library and thanks to ryan Same. for pointing that out um but uh after finishing the movie i uh you scroll down a little bit and there's a, a link to an interview that Terrence Davies did with movie notebook huh. uh yeah it's it, it's a tremendous interview um it's and he uh actually speaks so a, it's kind of on that um uh that says um uh, a print interview or a video? A print interview. And uh, so nice. the Movie Notebook says, how uh, has that practice of memory revealed itself in such minute details such as, you know, newspaper on the walls? One image you have used again and again is that of the camera tracking down the hallway to the front door of an apartment. The tracking movement pulls my heart down the hallway. My heart wants to move out that front door. But this is what I wanted to say. So that, like, kind of tradition of singing and tradition of music – um, he says, um, very often I was left on my own longing. Uh, this has to do with my family used to go to the pubs on Friday and Saturday nights. Very often I was left on my own longing for them to come home. Usually it was a wait of about four hours. They would leave at seven or eight and come home or at around 10 or 1030. They would come down the street singing and I would just wait for that. I'd be sitting on the front steps, sitting on the stairs, oh looking out and out sta- standing outside looking in. I did that constantly. I was actually quite a lonely child though I never felt lonely, but I was solitary and I looked all the time. Those images in my films are instinctive. A subject standing at the window with light falling on them. We only had one set of curtains and each Thursday my mother would take them to the public wash house. That was really hard work. I would come home on a Thursday from school and I couldn't go to the house. The windows looked so bare. I could not pair uh, them until the curtains were packed put back up again all that comes from a deep remembrance of what it felt like when i looked out of windows and i think that like that that action of looking and observing is really what sets this this film and his this film apart from a lot of other movies about like you know depression and and um sort of uh, uh grief or, or or whatever you want to call say that this movie is about ultimately for you that 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 sensation of looking and being an an observer in these people's lives and absolutely and recreating that texture so completely you know uh i think that you know just coming to martin scorsese's i think is another filmmaker that that can capture that and and does that incredibly well kind of unparalleled in that regard um but that I, i love that story about like waiting for the family to come home um, and the, the singing and the way that music is used in this movie because it's, you know, it's in the pubs. Um, there's that scene where um, uh, Tom Hiddleston, Freddie, leaves and is at the pub for a long time and Hester comes to find him and you can't hear their conversation over the sound of people singing. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's all body language. It's all, it's all the physicality of those performers. Then there's another scene a little bit later where I think it's a flashback and they're singing in a, a bar or at a pub or something. And then there's that great scene, which is actually, actually I, 
uh, Ryan has, I, I believe, shared the, the the scene in the tube on uh, to social media, which is also how kind of this movie came oh. into my life a lot. Just like kind of a well, because it made me it during like the height of lockdown, it made me think of yeah, yeah, that it just was like, oh my god, we're going to be thinking. This is like what it felt like, probably. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just, just they're singing um them all singing quietly uh molly malone and just having this moment of kind mm-hmm. of like um just just solace and and um togetherness like as the the city above you is getting bombed out and like you're in that tunnel you don't know if your house is going to be standing when you when you leave the tube you don't know if your friends and family are going to be alive when you leave that tube you just have the sound of uh, the the thudding sound of the bombs dropping and this music that is that that you have is like kind of your life raft so that you know that you you at least are still alive and that scene broke my fucking heart in context this time because I, you know, when I'd seen that out of context, I appreciated it as this like kind of, you know, we're in lockdown, we're all together, there's just that kind of like this this quiet sort of this 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 um uh, the security almost basically, but it the, the the camera moves down the tube and it it settles on Hester and um uh uh Lord Coll or Sir Collier or whatever and she's just like kind of gently holding his 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 um his lapel basically and it's it's this this moment where they're they have this like comfort in each other basically that's just like fuck like that's that's what. Sh- that at least she gets out of this relationship, but it's not enough. You know, it's, it's so, it's so sad in context. There's, there's another great musical scene later on where they're in a bar and everyone is singing, um, you belong to me. And which is great. It tells you so much about her in that moment. And he's so smart, man, this guy's so smart, but she is obviously looking at Freddie and she's in love with him and maybe that's what's losing her and where she's singing but there's times where you just think she doesn't know the words yeah and everyone is so in tune in that bar and you're just like oh she's given up this like place where she probably does not listen to the radio does not listen to popular music uh is living in a very highfalutin upper upper middle class world for sure uh you know she of a man who of a really successful lawyer but she's like jumped head first into this completely different way of life mm-hmm. for the student. I think that that moment um, really nails that one on the head so much. Uh, just for the um, interest of time, because this is definitely going to be a two-hour episode, like, oh, no, no, no doubt no, about sorry. it. Um, is there anything else that we haven't touched on yet that we want to make sure we touch on? Ryan, I'll have we, have we talked about Hiddleston? Have we talked about Hiddleston and all, or even just performance-wise? No, nah, I mean, uh, no. Damn it, it's so <laughs> tough. It's so tough. I mean, I, I mean, I'll talk about Hiddleston now because I'm sure when we get to like, what do you guys call it, Mercedes Valuable Player? Yeah, there's only it, one maybe. person. There's only one person to give that to. But uh, I just to talk about Hiddleston and maybe even Simon Russell Beale and one go and some of the other characters. But it's it's such a cool smart crisp writing and the adaptation that davies does here of boiling these people down to essentials but not letting you feel like they are minor characters mm-hmm. and especially with the stuff with hiddleston with freddie what he does you know he tells her at the end he's going away to south america they're officially breaking up he's he can't take it anymore uh he can't live with 
uh, someone like that at this point. And he, she mentions to him, because he's going to take a flying job there with planes, test testing planes. And she says, you know, I thought you couldn't fly anymore. I thought you couldn't do it. And he sort of resigns himself that he's certainly going to try because he just has to get away. And almost that is like a death notice to him, that he would rather yeah. be okay with dying in a plane accident because he just cannot fly anymore than stay in that apartment another day. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one thing in, to her and... God, I can't even bring up the big sob that happens at the end of this movie where she just sits down and just yeah. bawls. And you cannot tell if she's if she's bawling for the moment, if she's bawling for her life, or maybe, God damn it, I, maybe she just needed to cry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you just cannot tell what that is. It's just so ambiguous. And then this, that, again, the flame of her deciding, I'm not, I'm not going to do that today. I won't, I won't consider not living today. Oh, I'll so somehow good. pick up and I'll somehow pick up everything and um, think about it tomorrow. And that's, I mean, in the, not to say that the realm of theater is the only place where this happens, but I feel like in, if you were to see this happen on stage, I feel like whenever I've been in a, you know, been at a show where it's, where it is that sort of like sentiment, where it is that heavy and it is that, mm. you know, life or death that moment of hope that you get, you know, from Rachel Weiss right at the very end and the filmmaker, seeing that live, I mean, that would just bring anyone to tears, I have to imagine. Just seeing a person, a real person in front of you do that. I mean, brought me damn close, you know, this time around. It's just, it's beautiful. I mean, just the, the, the shred of hope that you get that, you know, this is surmountable. This is not, you know, this is not an endless spiral, ultimately. You know, she's going to Yeah. I mean, it's certainly not like, you know, again, I, I don't want to make it a movie that it's about sort of like uh, depression as a whole. Right. It's not, that's not my favorite subject in the world. I mean, having, you know, everyone goes through this. I'm sure all three of us have mm-hmm. um, in many ways. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm, you know, certainly not, on my, certainly not the main part of this movie on my end. I've, I've never been in a relationship. I've never experienced heartache, but I ex- experienced ache and I've experienced lo- a deep, uh, lust and longing that makes you feel like you want to die. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. But she, what's great is that she doesn't get any opinions from anybody. She's never saying, what do you think I should do? Do you think I should live? Do you think I should die? Or do you think I should just be happy? And it's always someone being like, especially with the landlady, she's like, look, bitch, we all <laughs> have something. I have I have a man dying in my bedroom. You, you just have to go through Hell. You have to make it through your life. Yeah, you have to yeah. go through hell to, to get through life. It's just part of it. Yep, going through hell it's and just... the shit is never going to go away, but you can do it. Yes. If you're going through hell, uh, you just keep going. <laughs> Mason, that was awesome, dude. Speaking of uh, speaking of Hiddleston, actually, I think that his performance in this is is tremendous, and it does make me yearn for the day when he can get out of this Marvel hole and give us some like real juicy juicy people roles again you know um particularly you know this is such a a heavy movie like we've been saying uh there are times when i thought there are some funny moments i thought and that the scene with like i said the scene with the mother-in-law and just their uh 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 rachel vice and this mother-in-law is kind of back and forth tete-a-tete is was i thought was fucking hilarious but tom hiddleston screaming to the impressionists (laughs) yeah 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 I thought was so so funny and then uh, following it up later is like he has like that funny little joke about like doing it for the Monet or something like that I was like oh Tommy you 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 oh Tom oh Tom but um 
Uh, I think what that about, about Hiddleston coverage? throwing that coin at her. Yes. <laughs> Very good move. Yeah. Very good move from real Tom cool guy one. thing to do. Um, and the and the horrific look on his friend's face that he just did that. Yeah. Classic comedy, classic British comedy look. The British really know how to bring the comedy home. They do. Rob the Rob the Um. Can we do fast facts? Is there anything else? This is a monster app, so I want to make sure that fast fact people fast get their fact money's me. worth. All right, let's do some fast facts. Deep Blue Sea is a 2011 British romantic drama film directed by Terrence Davies, starring Rachel Weisz, Tom Hiddleston, and Simon Russell Beale. It's an adaptation of the 1952 Terrence Rattigan play of The Deep Blue Sea about a wife of a judge who engages in an affair with a former RAF pilot. It's basically a direct adaptation in the content sense, but in the form sense, ooh-wee, Rick. <laughs> ooh-wee, ooh-wee, I'm Mr. Meeseeks. Look at me, I'm in The Deep Blue Sea <laughs> adaptation by Terrence Davies. Um, Davies wanted, to, wanted Rachel Weisz for the part of Hester Collier, after he noticed her, quote, incredible talent in Swept from the Sea, which is from 1997, even though he hadn't heard of her before seeing that film. He called his agent and asked, have you ever heard of this girl, Rachel Weiss? His agent laughed and said, she's an Oscar winner. Weiss was, Weiss was amused by this and said, I don't think Terrence Davies knows very well anyone who's not in a black and white film. That is a great anecdote. Mm -hmm. I love that it's shit. Great very, very telling of Davies as a, as a man. Uh, this was filmed in 25 days, all in London, England. Uh, Terrence Davies is an English screenwriter, oh. film director, novelist, and actor. Seen by many critics as one of the greatest film British filmmakers of the present day. After leaving school at 16, Davies worked for 10 years as a shipping office clerk and an unqualified accountant before leaving Liverpool to attend Coventry Drama School. While he was there, he wrote the screenplay for what would become his first autobiographical short, Children, released in 1976, filmed under the auspices of the BFI production board. After this introduction to filmmaking, Davies went to the National Film School, completing Madonna and Child, released 1980, continuation of the Davies alter ego, Robert Tucker, covering his years as a clerk in Liverpool. Davies listed the following 10 films for his greatest films of all time in the 2012 Sight and Sound Director's Poll. So here we go. Here's Davies' top 10 films of all time for the 2012 Sight and Sound Director's Poll. I think this is in... No, it's not in any particular order. It must be the order he just gave, because this is in chronological order. The 1946 version of Great Expectations. Hmm. I was in Great Expectations. I played Joe in high school. Very cool for me. Uh, the Happiest Days of Your Life. i do not familiar with that one, to be honest with you. 1950. Kind Hearts and Coronets, starring the great Alec Guinness, 1949. Mm -hmm. Letter from an Unknown Woman, 1948. Oh. The Magnificent Ambersons... 1942. Ah. The Night of the Hunter, 1955. Shout out, Night of the Hunter. All right. Uh, the Searchers, 1956. Singing in the Rain, 1951. Victim, which I think is considered the first, like, the first, like, mainstream gay film, or even maybe not mainstream, it, it, just the it first, would like, be, uh... gay film, which is classic Terrence Davies. And Young at Heart from 1954. Not familiar with that one either. But those are the films Man he gave. pain. Yeah, he does. He's a fucking, he's a, he's a glutton for punishment, as they say. Mm -hmm. uh, Ryan is the guest. We'll ask you first. Who, what, which is your Mercedes valuable player for this? Can I start with an anecdote first? You may. Uh, yeah. You're the guest. Fast facts. I, I don't, I don't want to get into all of Terrence Radigan's stuff. He's an interesting writer. He basically was not Neil Simon, but he was like a very popular playwright at a time when you know, drawing room comedies and stuff were, and drawing room dramas were 
dying out of fashion with you know the kitchen sink movement up on the rising and then he wrote this play and it kind of sealed it sealed the deal with his greatness but this happened to him this play is a autobiographical experience oh shit. Uh, his boyfriend he was he was gay uh could not write a play about a gay man but he his boyfriend left him a very successful writer for a someone after the war of a, a pilot and the boyfriend he killed himself when the pilot left him oh my so god he wrote this oh, play as like as like as like a memory to him wow but couldn't write from his experience of being a gay of a, a gay man in his 50s and so wrote this play uh for a woman uh but i which i recommend reading it's a beautiful play um and it really expands a lot of the people that live in the apartment and around the suicide but my mercedes driver player is i really I'm sure we all will, might have a similar one. I, I will be flabbergasted if we don't. But it, it's Rachel Weiss. How can you not? Man, oh man. Yeah. I mean, she's like otherworldly in this. You're like stunned by everything she does. And it's so little. It's so, so tiny. Um, and I mean, when he copies like the, I mean, he does obviously his big homage to Brief Encounter right there after the right. big, uh, and that's like so shocking to see another woman do that and to make it feel completely different. Yeah. Feel com feel so personal too. Yeah. Um, Cause you don't, I mean, I don't assume she's going to jump, but right. you just know that she's, she is stuck on that platform for some reason. Right. And the look on her face is so, so oh, painfully heartbreaking. So painful. She really takes you there. It's like a simulator almost. She really like grabs you by the neck and brings you with her. Yeah, a sim. It's crazy to describe it as a simulator. I'm just thinking of someone Twitch streaming that. <laughs> <laughs> Deep blue C4D. Yeah, Hassan. Oh my god. Tiger uh, streaming that like with like thirty five thousand people watching. Yes, Rachel Vice is sway queening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mason, I'm going fucking of the next. Can I go fucking next, Mason? Yeah, go next. Thanks. I'm gonna, uh, uh, Ryan. I don't know if you know we're allowed to do this, but you can give a co Mercedes valuable player. You can give it to two things because that sometimes happens oh, in sports. You, we can we can do a redo for you if you want to give a co. No, it's well. okay. I'll give it all the. I'll give it all the vice. She deserves the world. <laughs> all of Obviously, the vice. you gotta give all all of the <laughs> vice. <laughs> Mason, I love that man. Um, gotta give one of them device. I mean, you know. Yeah. What can you say? It's just one of those. Yeah, it's her movie. It is her movie. I'm gonna give the other to the art department in this film. Uh, nice. Like I said, I love the textures in Davies' films, and so briefly, production designer James Merrifield, supervising art director David Hindle, art director Sarah Pasquale, and set decorator Deborah Wilson. Uh, the art, the main art department, you know, uh, of that. I didn't include the costume because I feel like that's its own separate thing even though it's included in the art department but those four folks uh, will get the other they'll get the co Mercedes Viable player like I said I love the textures of Davies films and I feel like that is part the art department and part the cinematography but in this one the art department was doing it for me a little more than the cinematography so Rachel Weiss and the art department those four folks Mason what I don't know what they shot this movie on though let's find out it's crazy to look I, but it does crazy to look at. Sorry, Mason. But no, I, you're good. I was just Don't. remembering the cinematography, and there's that crazy moment at the end where she, not crazy, but she has just come up from stairs, and he's locked the door on her, and it's that deep wood of the doors. I don't know how they got that focus, but it's so clear, but also so dark. I love it. 
you can you get all the feeling of that wood on that apartment building. Mm. Uh, I got the tech specs right here before we get into it, Mason. If you really want to know, this was shot on the Panavision Panaflex Platinum with Panavision Ultra Speed MK Mark II lenses on 35 millimeter in a digital intermediate 2K master format let's in its cinema go digital intermediate 2k master let's go <laughs> let's fucking go if it was uh, made today it'd be 4k and we all know that sorry mason continue the ari you, you got <laughs> you gotta give it to rachel vice you gotta give it to rachel vice but i'm also going to pull a joker's trick and do a co-mercedes valuable player and i'm going to give my other mercedes valuable player to the tube scene because Oh, baby, that one just got me right deep in my fucking guts when I was watching it earlier today. It might just be, like, some kind of post-COVID, like, kind of lockdown brain, you know, being like, oh, oh man, like this. But, man, I feel like we've lived through that, basically. Yeah, I mean, I've lived right. through the Blitz. I'm not getting bombed. I'm not getting bombed out. But I, you know, we have lived through a very strange time where there is something happening outside this, literally, this window right next to me. Uh for a time we were just like what is going on out there yeah, yeah it's insane it is it is and i just think that 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 scene is kind of the um that that scene is is just so striking so beautiful um and of course rachel vice you know absolutely it. just just carries this movie on uh on her shoulders like just if, with her, her with her whole body um it's her this movie would if it god she's just so fucking good that's all i got to say about it She's 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 only in like every frame. Exactly. Yeah, it's only the entire movie about her in every single second and every sense of the word. Exactly. Uh, I'm gonna give this a recommend, just a general recommend for now. Like I said, I really need to rewatch this. I almost did rewatch it, except I was hanging out with my friend Fed till one in the morning. Shout out to my friend Fed. Uh, so I didn't get a chance to rewatch it before the record. So I'm gonna give this a regular recommend now but with potential for it to be a full recommend gotcha. in the future. This is, a, this is a full recommend for me. This is a very, very high recommend for me. Uh, it's streaming on Mubi. It's streaming on Tubi. And it's also streaming and on... And Hoopla! Sign up for Hoopla, baby! <laughs> hoopla! Hoopla! I'll so, try to get on Hoopla. So, uh, yeah, I, I adore this movie. I, it was, it's, I just think it's tremendous. Uh, Chef Ryan, how about you? Full recommend. I mean, I gotta. Yeah. Gotta. Gotta. I have to. I full recommend this. I full recommend the filmography of Terrence Davies. My word. Yes. It's not much. It's not hard to do. It's hard. Not hard to do. Uh, not all. They're not very long. I think his longest movies are recent. Um, so it's pretty easy to do. I mean, they're if you like period pieces, they're all period. They're all period pieces. I don't think he has much interest in. The modern world, yeah, and that's I okay. Th- I don't think he does, yeah. <clears throat> and that's okay. The past. That's I also fine. recommend Michael Kare- Michael Koreski's book, just called Terrence Davies. Um, oh, I don't wow. know who the publisher is, but he Michael Koreski he writes. He's the editor in chief of Reverse Shot. I know he wrote for he writes for um, what's it called, Film Comment from time to time. But he wrote a whole book about Terrence Davies. Not very long. Mm-hmm. Most of it's just a big interview, but it's very good. Wow. Look at that. No idea. The things you learn on it's on the list with Noah and Mason. Uh, God, <laughs> man, Darren, Darren Stavey is, is the king. He's also so funny, you guys. When I saw Quiet Passion with Gene Siskel, uh, he came into the Q&A, which I would never stay for in a million years, but I stayed for Terrence Davies. 
And the man is so funny. Shout and out to the man himself. Shout out to the man himself. You love to see it, and you love to see Ryan Kenny. You love to see him. Thank you for being on the show again, Thank, you for, having, thank you for having me back. I'm sorry that I bring like the like the least fun things in the world. Oh, wow. No, dude, are you kidding me? Come on. I wouldn't say I, that. I, family, I, that. That family comedy question when you guys asked me was so hard. I this explains a lot and I'm sure like for Mason it'll, it'll explain everything I was not taken to family movies a lot as a kid not just because they were like banned but I had a single mom so it was like it's you, I, I see what she wants to see right. so I was like getting I was like getting dragged around like I remember seeing Coyote Ugly and like talking to my friends yes, and like, oh, I just saw Coyote Ugly that does so, actually explain that. a lot <laughs> yeah. I saw what is that movie Tortilla Soup <laughs> my mom yeah. just took me to go see Tortilla Soup yeah Chocolat classic oh, oh my god sure. that was a big movie for my mom yes I'm sure it was so that was that was tough but like all this stuff sad things get me going way more than like very funny things just comes as a bitch with funny movies yeah yeah, yeah everyone knows you're such a bitch for funny movies everyone knows that that's true that is actually very true though. <laughs> <laughs> uh ryan thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for staying up late with us uh it's where some people are in bed. Um, okay. Like I wish I was in bed um, all the time. Oh, I wish wow. I was in bed all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the part of the show that you came to do. You could plug anything you want to plug, so plug away. Um, Cry Macho is in theaters now. <laughs> uh, it's also on- <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Um, I am on Twitter at I think I'm at R Y N N Kenny. Isn't that oh, there's another N in there? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes, because I I can never get it my full name, and I can never just be Ryan Kenny. So it's R Y N, which is like a little shortened Ryan, and then my middle name and Kenny. Okay. Literally, if you're the government, you can find me wherever. I'm on Twitter. I'm on, um, I'm on Instagram. Go ahead there, and I'm on Letterboxd. And nice. I have no projects to plug because I do nothing you guys <laughs> I do nothing. wait but you got a podcast that people can listen to oh my god I do oh yeah. my god no way we're still doing that we're really bad at updating but I do have a podcast it's called uh, thank you for reminding me of course it's called uh, this could have been a text it's a great and podcast if you folks. think and if and if you ever listen you're like this sounds like it was recorded on a phone call it's because it was uh, <laughs> it's a weekly phone call between me and my dear friend Caitlin Looney and mm-hmm. now we've added a, a treat we've made it a trio a good friend Michael Hatchett Mikey Hatch himself um, has joined in on our our weekly phone calls and we're coming back soon I know we just recorded an episode yesterday literally so we're trying to get back into that um, hell yeah but that that's it one day maybe one day i'll come on here and i'll have something created creative to plug because i have gotten off my ass and done something Ooh. Ooh. but one, one of these one of these days you say that you say that like doing this podcast right now ain't a creative <laughs> no, endeavor. It's, a, it's, very, it's a very creative endeavor um anyways i guess follow me on letterbox that's my best platform i feel like Ryan's a great follow on all platforms. No, I will say follow, that. <laughs> absolutely. Don't follow me on Twitter where I just where I just tweet about Mayor of Easttown. Didn't like Mayor of Easttown, right to be honest with you. That's At least the first episode. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's insane to me. It was about a woman who was a police officer. What's what are you what are you not getting there? <laughs> what 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 the fuck don't you like about that? <laughs> <laughs> uh you can email us, like Mason said at the top of the show, at everybody wants to the number two. Get on the list at gmail.com it'll also be in the show description probably yes, probably it will be, be there it will I, I'm, gonna, I I'm gonna email I'm gonna email about Cry Macho 
Okay, perfect. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter at, at it's on the list pod and on Instagram at it's on underscore the list. There's some funny stuff going on there, but there's also updates about the show. So if you want to be informed about what's going on on this terrible, <laughs> shitty show that we do, then you got to follow no. us on the show. I'm just, it was a joke. I think this is the best thing that's okay. ever been done by anyone. So <laughs> that's actually what I think. Um, so it's actually the opposite. Um, but you can follow us on there for updates and little fun things. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TikTok, Letterboxd, all the shit. It's in the description in our link tree. You can also listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast, the podcast about people's favorite things. This week, we are talking to none other than Ben Massey about the Porsche 911, Ooh. his favorite car. Nothing. We've never talked about that on the show before, so it'll be this is a, this is uncharted territory for the show, and it was an in-person record. I got to record not on Zoom, baby. What? what? I know. What? Karma the Frog just flailing his fucking arms up and down. Just can't believe it. And that's going to be in the future for my favorite podcast because I I have the equipment now. So maybe it'll be it'll probably be a mix of Zoom and in person, but that's better than what it was before, which was one hundred percent. Zoom recording, so something to look forward to if you listen to that as well as this podcast. That's it. Those are my plugs. Mason, take us home. You can follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, at HotDogDebicki, both platforms. You can follow me on Letterboxd under my name, Mason. You can finally watch every single episode of The Shield with my and and Connor Crockford's analysis. We have just dropped the last episode of that show where we talk about the final episode of The Shield family meeting. Uh, It was a blast to do that show over the last two years. My first podcast project. So proud of it. Um, Yeah, two years. Three, actually. Three years. I feel like that's been been around forever. Yeah, three years. I said two two on Instagram (laughs) because I have have COVID brain. I thought that 2020 was uh, not happening, and it's currently 2020 right now. But it was three years, actually. Uh, And fuck my uh, post that I made that had that wrong. And nobody corrected me on it. Doesn't matter. I'm very happy with it and sad it's over, but we're going to have some more stuff down the pipe there. I am also, as always, on the streets of Chicago, and as we say on the show to close things out, folks, tell someone you love them this week, do something you love this week, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. See you guys. Bye.